Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 77, we're discussing bodge repairs. Sorry, bodge repairs. And we're even putting together a bodge repair kit for you to help you with those crazy repair jobs you may be forced to do or may just enjoy doing on the side of the road or the trail. Then we're going to talk about some food that these travelers have eaten that may cause you to gag. All that and more coming up. We've got a good one for you today. But before that, I want to give a shout out to some people who really helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. Here we go. Robert N. Hines, Travis Tranfield, Sean Merger, William Carney, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. It's great to have people who appreciate what we're doing. If you'd like to get a shout out here, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do. And we would love it if you would consider becoming a patron supporter. That way we can count on you every month. Now, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for June 2022. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today, the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by almost everyone that should be here. We are only missing one person. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK. Hello, Sam. Well, hi, everybody. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I am smiling big time at the moment. Summer is here full bore and it's fantastic and I'm loving it. Even being woken up um, by the birds at 4.30 in the morning. I did ask if they could make it for 6am, but not all of them have read the memo, obviously. <laughs> um, but um, it's it's just a really busy time now. And um, I, I've just finished a really happy day in the sunshine at an event in Suffolk. And um, next week, I'm presenting a book signing at the Adventure Bike Rider Festival here in the UK. So, yeah, summer's rolling. And I'm looking forward to being back in the USA, but more on that later. Wow, that that is exciting. And I've got the same feeling for summer, not for the same reasons, but that just the heat and the sunshine and the riding of the motorcycle, it feels amazing. Anyway, Shirley Hardy Ricks is here. Brian is not here. Why? If if you have listened to Brian on here before, you probably already know why, because he's on his motorcycle somewhere. But Shirley, hello. Hello, I'm here and it's cold and I just had to um, sneeze. And every time you sneeze now, you feel like a pariah and you have to say, look, I'm just sneezing. It's okay. I don't have COVID. Um, it's bleak. It's grey. And Brian is in the centre of New South Wales in a town called Hay on his way to the Rabbit Trap Hotel. <laughs> is Hay a farming a, town? I presume it was at one <laughs> stage. Um, and the Rabbit Trap Hotel is in a town called Ningen, which is on the Bogan River. Mm, wow. And, and is, is is Brian trapping rabbits on this trip or is he eating no. at, the, at the pub? He'll be um, sharing lots of tall tales and um, chilled refreshers with his uh, riding buddies. So he's he's desperately trying to get a connection to join us. And if he does, he will pop in. So we'll listen for he that will indeed. coming up. Michelle Lampfair in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Hello, Michelle. Hi, everybody. Your season uh, must be rolling by now. It is. Yeah, it's getting really busy in the Black Hills. I um, have seen lots of tourists, lots of campers, lots of motorcyclists. I think more motorcyclists this year than I have in many past years, there's a couple of adventure rallies 
that have started in the Black Hills. There's one up by Sturgis in June, late June, another one in July. So yeah, it's it's really fun to see all of the the bikes. And as I'm walking around doing work, which I do seven days a week, <laughs> um, tending to my cabins, I get jealous as I hear GSs roll by and other other bikes roll by. I saw DR650 um, go by just about an hour ago. So yeah, it, it's been fun. That's got to be difficult you, you being in that business <laughs> where you're just seeing people come in and they're bragging about or just telling you about the places they've been and the, what they're doing on their trip and everything. And yeah, yeah. you're seven days a week. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, come on, I'm happy for them. And I'm so, so proud of the fact that they're coming to the Black Hills because it isn't necessarily something that a lot of people around the world have heard of. So to recognize that there are people coming in from all over the U.S. and even globally, we have a lot of international travelers now that are, um, you know, now that borders are open and people are able to travel, a lot of travelers are coming through the Black Hills. And I'm I'm very eager to share the place with them. And I always have a cold bottle of water in the fridge for any motorcyclists that stop by and say hello. So yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for them. If I can't be out there myself, I'm glad that they can be. Very nice. I, well, I'm not really feeling sorry for you at all, Michelle. So don't, <laughs> don't worry. You shouldn't. <laughs> I didn't think you were. <laughs> Grant Johnson is in British Columbia. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. I'm just back from the Horizons Unlimited Can West Travelers Meeting, which was the first meeting we've been to in two and a half years, long, wow. long years. And it was amazing. We had oh, well over 200 people there. Great turnout. And everybody was absolutely buzzed to be there. And, and I'm still literally buzzing. It was, it's just fantastic. We had such a good time. We had travelers from all over the world, Poland, Australia, UK, Germany, and a bunch of other places. It was really, really cool. That's just really, so nice to be back. Were those travelers on the road? Like, were they riding their bikes on trips? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah they're great. <laughs> We had one guy, and I wish I could remember his name, but you can find out he's on a scooter. These, you know, these stand-on scooters that are electric, towing a trailer on his way to Alaska, where he's going to do a U-turn and go to Ushuaia. See, you said electric scooter? Yeah, the step-on scooter. I think somebody sent me the the link um, to to what this guy is is posting. Um, So it's the stand-on electric scooter. Yeah. Uh, Not a scooter, motorcycle scooter, a scooter scooter. <laughs> so what did he tell you was the, the reason behind the electric scooter? Why not? That's it? <laughs> That's basically it. <laughs> it's good I fun. It. I mean, I could go to Alaska on my hands and knees, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Just for why not? Well, There's got to be some sort of motivation there. Yeah, I didn't get the full story. He did do a presentation, but I was so busy. I was, I gave five presentations, I think. And I was pretty flat out. So there was far too many presentations I missed out on. Oh, that's great though. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. And Susan was there as well. Oh yeah. Oh yes. (laughs) We were both very busy. Lots of people, lots of people that we haven't seen for two and a half years, world travelers, people that have come back from travels, um, Jeremy uh, Craker and Elle McPherson. And we had Kinga Tanajewski was there and lots of people. It was great. Wow, that's really neat. And you have more coming up. We're going to talk about that at the you at the bet. end uh, when, when we get to plugs. We will cover that. But um, so that is everybody that's here for today. Again, Brian might be coming in in a while. We'll wait and see on that. So what we have today, it's um, is from a, a listener named Stephen Nash. Now, Stephen has a two-part question. We're going to save the second part for part two of the show after the break. 
But part one, part one of his question, it's, it's called bodge repairs. Now, I guess another way to say bodge repairs would be stopgap or makeshift. I am maybe people of a certain age and, and maybe global location may say MacGyver it. Anyone else, a word that, that explains what bodge is? Uh, for me, a bodge job is an emergency repair job done by somebody who's reasonably competent but lacks the, the correct tools and parts to do it. So they sort of bodge something together until it can be properly mended. Is that tattooed on the back of your hand or something? You just spilled that <laughs> off so well. <laughs> I, you know, when, when Steve sent in these topics, I was sitting thinking, gosh, because I just use the word absolutely automatically without really thinking about it because it just has that category. And I thought, well, yeah, how do I define it? So that was what I came up with. Mm. Yeah, well, that, uh, that is exactly, uh, that's a perfect definition of it. And like I said, there's many words, you know, who's great for it is farmers and loggers. They're king at this. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, the, farmers to- fix is one I've heard. Yeah, yeah, farmer's fix, yeah. Those are the repairs that usually come back to haunt you as well, by the way. Those <laughs> repairs that, you know, you, you use some, uh, I don't know, some some bailing twine or something like that mm-hmm. and, and get something working. Maybe in, in our case, maybe some zip ties and, and some JB Weld. And then you forget about it and, until it breaks again. Unless you're the type that actually goes home and does the repair properly, which you should be. But nah. um, <laughs> well, some good, repairs good work. Bodges don't need repair. Don't need. <laughs> That's replaced. what I was going to say. Some They're repairs fine. work really well. So, so, um, so the, his question is: Is what's your best repair uh, or your your best bodge? He's saying bodge repair that um, everyone on the panel has has ever done. Now, before we get to that, he he's got a couple that he's done himself. He says that on the hum. 2010, he made an indicator lens out of the bottom edge of a plastic water bottle that was in a, in a garbage can, and it was still on the bike when he sold it months later. I'm curious if he actually told the new buyer that, that part of it, <laughs> the, the indicator lens was a plastic water bottle. And he had another one on a, on a uh, his current nine-week jaunt around Europe. He met a friend in France, and they pulled over to check directions, and the bike wouldn't start. And it was very hot, no shade. They wanted a quick solution. And what they thought it was was the, the clutch switch. They thought that had failed, but they needed a way to short it out. And looking around on the ground, they found a twist tie. And I mean, how familiar is this to us, right? I'm sure you guys have run into this too. You you find anything on the ground that you can use. In this case, it was a twist tie with a metal in the middle and uh, that's that used for closing bags of um, bread and things like that. Strips off the plastic, double over the wire and shorts the connection to see if uh, it'll work and the bike started up. They sealed it up and away they went. And it said four weeks later, it's still growing, going strong. So... It's, it's pretty neat. If you, it, I, I like these type of things. I like these challenges. I think it was something that like back when I was young and heavily into four wheeling, that was the stuff that I really enjoyed when things broke and you had to fix it with only what you had there. That was, that was sort of, you know, sort of part of the fun. I, I don't find that as much with riding motorcycles, but you certainly do. So, so how about you guys? Who's, who's got a bodge job they've done? Jim, can I take us back in history just for a moment? Sure. When this topic came up from Steve, I started to wonder where the word bodge actually comes from because it is such a funny word, isn't it? And sometimes people take on a a slang usage, don't they? And there are repetitions of misheard words and that sort of thing. So I I use it without thinking, as I said just now. But it's such an odd sounding word. It just had to have roots, I thought. So I started to do some hunting online. And to my amazement, I couldn't find an old English reference to the word that had any relevance at all. What I did find was way back in the very early days of handcrafted woodworking, a bodger 
was somebody who made the spindles for backs of chairs. But these were specialists because they did so out of green wood and they would often actually travel with um, their lathes and so on, you know, wood with um, string to, to turn them and so on. And they would make these spindles where the trees were actually felled. Um, if listeners want to look up Windsor chairs on Google, then um, they'll see what the skies were actually making. Now, the, the further I investigated this, I found out that it's actually a word that's been around since the times of Shakespeare with the meaning that we tend to give it. And I, I just I love bodges because they're great fun and they're always innovative thinking. And you made me laugh because um, some bodges work so well that they actually stay on a bike forever, don't they? <laughs> yes, that's that's so true. And bodge is close to botch, which is another thing that happens when you botch yeah. a repair. They can be, end up being a botched repair. But how different is that? Because a bodge is something that's successful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So bodged repairs, makeshifts, stopgap, who, who has one? Well, I've got an exhaust pipe repair. I had, um, the bike was getting old and getting older and in Chile started to feel this heat on my leg. And I thought, what, what's going on here? And on the R80GS, the exhaust plate comes up on the left and it literally rotted right through at the mounting bracket and was blowing exhaust gas out. You know, we're in, the, we're in the middle of nowhere in Chile, you know, little tiny town, little tiny town. I'm not going to be able to replace it. So I saw, oh, wrecking yard. Cool. Pulled into a wrecking yard, pointed out to the guy and he said, sure, no problem. And off he goes. Comes back with a car hood, the whole thing. Looks at it. We take the pipe off and he cuts out a piece of metal with his cutting torch and a little bit of cutting here and there, getting it to shape and starts heating it up, welds a corner, bangs it down, melts it some more, heats some more, bends some more and welds it a bit there and a bit there. It's perfect. It's it's better than factory. It's thicker. It's stronger. It's better than factory. Excellent. Good job. $5. Yeah, wow. excellent. Wow. Exactly what you want. So that was a really nice bodge. That was better than factory repair and a whole lot cheaper than a new pipe. Now, is it still on your bike? Uh, that pipe eventually rotted in a few other places than has since been replaced, sadly. Ah, I see. But until the end of our trip, it did finish the end of our trip, which was another, I don't know, 30-odd thousand K. And it was fine right to the end. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Bodge repairs that actually are better than the original component that you're fixing. Yeah, I have another one, too, that I didn't do. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't do. I sort of did. Um, it was on Max's R1100GS. Max was an Italian guy that I rode with through Ecuador, Peru, and Colombia. And he was riding along ahead of me at one point, and I saw his top box literally fly over the top of his head and land on the road in front of him. He managed to miss riding over it. But we looked at it and thought, hmm, we have a problem here. <laughs> Bracketed, broken, <laughs> was no good. So we ended up using a BMW tie strap to hold it on, which worked fine until he crashed. And then he broke the bracket on the, that held the saddlebag on. And that bracket and mounting, I, I'm not sure what, what bags he had now. It was a long time ago. Might have been GVs. Anyway, busted the bracket completely. So he said, oh, we got to go to Quito and you know, get, get, get into a repair shop, get some proper parts and replace it. And I, we're nowhere near a big city, like nowhere. We're on the east side of the Andes thinking, you know, trying to go up the Pan-American Highway because the highway was completely washed out. There's nothing here. We pulled into a tiny little town, Baños, and uh, found a little shop. 
just by literally riding up and down streets until we found something that looked like a shop. And here was a single car garage with a bunch of old tools and beat up old workbench and just, you know, ratty, tired, third world. You know, you've all seen it. Showed him the problem. Yep, no problem. And about four or five hours later, he had made a new bracket to my design that was better than factory, super strong, excellent job. And he said, $15. And Max, how about 10 no, Max, shut up. They have 15. That's a bargain. This guy and his partner were working on this thing for several hours. The wife brought out lunch and a couple of snacks and fed us. <laughs> He's bargaining on a $15 repair job. Can you imagine how much the bracket would have cost to have shipped there? Oh, my yeah. Lord. No, it was ridiculous. It would, well, it would have been a whole new mounting system. That, that was just bust. It was gone. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So... I think the lesson there is look at it and say, can this be done locally? The small shops, these guys are so good at fixing anything because they've got nothing and they've got no money and they try and figure it out and they make it work. And it was, it was beautifully done. I mean, it was a nice piece of work. <laughs> and sometimes bartering just isn't the right thing to do. No. That was absolutely not the right time. <laughs> I just about slapped them silly. <laughs> you know, for me, on, on, when I think of, of botched, botched repairs or, or botched things that I've done, the one that always sticks in my mind, because I'm still looking at it, it's one of these, is <laughs> I bought my F800 and took it back to the shop. And um, I wanted to ride right away, but I didn't have any any panniers for it or any any racks for it to put my panniers on. And so I just looked around the shop. I had some aluminum there and put together a very fast uh, little bracket on either side, two brackets on either side. And I cut a piece of plywood and quickly bolted the plywood to them to hold my, my soft bags off the exhaust and off the side of the bike. And I thought, that's perfect. That's going to do for this weekend. I can ride it now. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, great. I still have it. And I'm going to replace them. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely going to do this properly, <laughs> but it's sure still there. you are. <laughs> hey, it works perfectly. Um, actually, that reminds me of another one that I saw just this weekend. Um, Mike Mills of Mike and Shannon Mills, the SM Boilerworks folks, finished a trip riding a DR650s. He's over six feet and she's about five foot three and a half to be exact. I remember that. And on identical DR650s, except hers is grossly lowered and his is standard and she's got a higher seat, et cetera, on it. But the point of the story is his rack kept breaking because he was carrying a bigger load than she was. Obviously, he's going to be able to handle a bigger load. And the rack kept breaking and he got tired of re-welding it. So he got some two, maybe, two, maybe three millimeter diameter nylon cord tied it all together and it's better than original it hasn't broken since it works perfectly it's in place it stays there it's absolutely secure and it's it's perfect he's not going to change it it's done it's fixed because it flexes and and that's like, that's like um one of the sledges you think of it's got some flex exactly yeah the, the sledges like the, the comatac i think they call it comatic they call it is that the name for it? Do you guys know the Inuit um, use them, and they're 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 well. They were originally laced with um, sinew, I guess, but but in any case, that they lace them up with rope now, and th that's what it has to be. It has to be flexible. If you screw this thing together, it will break apart as you as you drag it across the ice. 
So that's right. it. That's interesting. The strength comes from its flexibility. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have the stress right on the metal. It's allowed to move just that little bit. I mean, he's got a lot of cord on there. He's probably got twenty-five feet of cord, and everywhere it's three and four strands of cord. But it's fine. It's super strong. Excellent. So okay, a good you. bodge. Birgit and I were I'm doing a trip in France, and I hadn't bothered to take my handlebar muff because you know, it was summer, um, and we had day after day of cold rain and my fingers were really paying the price I had ordinary you know, hand protectors on but they were tiny and just not much protection for that sort of weather so um, I bought a couple of two litre plastic milk bottles cut the side out of one of them then cut the neck on, on, on the bottles so that they were opened out over the handlebars themselves the body of the bottle covered the grips and so my hands and a cable tie around the neck of the bottle to hold them onto the handlebars, job done I was tempted to actually leave them on forever, but um, yeah, well, but uh, it was just simple. It was really quick to do, very easy and did a cracking job. Just kept the rain off my hands and therefore they stayed much warmer. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's just, all, you know, thinking about what you've got available, sort of looking around and, and figuring out a way to make it work. Yeah, Liquid bottles liquid. work so well, don't they? So yeah. um, we were in Canada and um, we bust a, a tent pole. There were no camping shots nearby and we were on a really tight budget. So buying new tent pole, even if there had been the opportunity, yeah, well, don't know whether it had been in our in our budget. But um, I managed to a, a nab a, a Coke tin and we cut the ends off that and just used it wrapped around the pole to splint it with a tiny little bit of electrical tape and it stayed there right the way through until the end of the trip. <laughs> Wow, that's great. Now, now for that, if anyone listening to this has a problem with what their tent pole, they actually sell um, sort of a temporary repair thing, which is a short piece of metal tubing that will slide over your tent pole. And you can basically do the same thing as that. Instead of the, the Coke can, you can just slide the little tube over to the spot, tape it on, and away you go. And yeah, it'll last forever as well. I've had people ask me, what's that for? That comes with their poles. Oh, I, like if you buy a better quality tent, they often come with the poles. Yeah. yeah. What's it for? Why Why is this here? It doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah. Sam, you, you, said, you, know. you said you had one? Yeah, we had one, but um, we'd given it away to somebody else who'd got a, oh. a stamp pole. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd been carrying the blooming thing for so long, but of course, well, the tent was well used. So every time we went through a storm or something like that, high wind, those poles were getting weaker. So, but um, yeah, well, hope somebody at the time. Well, I think yours was probably better because it, it was it was more to the size of the of the pole itself. It didn't have this big lump on it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, another one I've used to do the uh, the milk carton thing is just duct tape. I have mm -hmm. smaller hand grips on my R80 GS, the ones it came with, and duct tape between there and the mirror and a little bit down below. And yep, that works pretty good. And it was handy right there. Mm-hmm. This is all just proving that the only tools you need to take on a trip are cable ties and duct tape. <laughs> a little bit of cord helps. <laughs> okay, a little bit of cord. We'll grant you the cord, but that's about it. Yep. <laughs> we certainly don't need tire pliers. I just going to say, I wouldn't be leaving the tire pliers at home. <laughs> <laughs> that came up in the tire changing session on the weekend. Somebody said, what about Shirley and the tire pliers? And that prompted a whole discussion. <laughs> nice. Shirley, you just made me smile because um, Nick Hess, who some of you guys know, he's an Australian um, overlander. 
Um, he once sent me a T-shirt and it's all logoed up on the front with a roll of duct tape and cable ties. And I didn't know what the origin of this T-shirt was. So after hunting around a little bit, I found out about Toby Price, the Dakar rider. And yeah. he slashed his his tyre mid-race um, and held his tyre together with cable ties and duct tape and still finished second. How about that? Wow. Wow. Toby Price is a freak of nature. Yes. <laughs> he's just won the Fink Desert Race, um, I think, for the fifth year in a row. And uh, a couple of years ago, he did it one way on a bike and then they chopped him back to the start and he did the another, the next way on a car and he won both divisions. I mean, wow. he really That's incredible. is a freak of nature. <laughs> wow. Yep. Well, I haven't done many bodge jobs by myself, um, but I've I've done a couple of, I guess, I don't know if I'd call them bodge jobs, but kind of patches just to get through to the to the next place that I can get some help if I need to. Um, one, I guess, and, and I've had a couple of friends who have had some bodge jobs that we've had to, to put together. I had a friend who was riding a KLR across country from California on his way to South Dakota. Um, he came actually to drop off the bike. So I'm storing the bike here for a friend, but he had put on an adjustable kickstand on the KLR and I had never seen one before. I didn't even really know that was an option. I suppose if you um, use lowering links on the bike or something, it's helpful to have that um, adjustability in the kickstand. But he got on the bike, lifted it off the kickstand and took off and didn't realize that the kind of telescoping piece of the kickstand had fallen out. So when, when he got to the next stop, the bottom part of the kickstand with the plate was missing and he couldn't put the kickstand down. It was half its normal length. That's a tough one. It was a tough one. <laughs> that is so, a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> he had to go to a local hardware store. He had that to go to a local like hardware. It does. It, it is. I, I I just dialed Freaking him in. Hey guys. So oh, so Ryan. so. Canada, Brian. Hang on, Canada guys. What? <laughs> Hang on, Brian. Just 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 wait one second here. Michelle's just telling us about a, a kickstand story. So just stand by one second. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, guys. It's sorry. okay. No, you're fine. Right. It's it's nice to have you here. Hey, so, hi. Hey. So uh, he had to pull into, John had to pull into a hardware store and find a piece of PVC pipe that would insert and telescope into the stump that was left of this adjustable kickstand <laughs> and then tied a piece of fishing line around the bottom of it. And he was a kind of a short fellow. So he'd have to stand the bike up and then he used a string to catch this plate or this base with a little bit of telescoping PVC pipe and he'd reel it up, stash it in his tank bag and keep going down the road. And when he got to each stop, he would have to drop this plate with the piece of PVC sticking up off the ground and roll the bike back and forth until he could position it just properly to drop it onto this PVC pipe. <laughs> but this was every fuel stop every motel stop, everything for almost a week. That's so frustrating. The, oh, it had to have been the most frustrating thing. So I, I'm not against adjustable kickstands. I'm sure for most people they work great, but it was so funny. And it, it honestly, that bod's job has, I'm sure, caused more laughs and more funny stories. It was worth every bit of pain. <laughs> and there, there's the argument for the center stand, right? Because if you have a center stand, then you've got at least a second stand. But, but wow, that's, that's right. A, that's, hey, you, you, what? So what's happened here is all this noise. Is Brian Ricks has just come in? He's um, I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's getting a phone call. Is he get? Is he getting a phone call? 
Shirley, are you calling no. Brian? No, we're going to listen to Brian's phone call. So just, we'll just listen to this. Jim, Jim I'm, I'm in a cafe and the phone just rang in the cafe. It's the only place I can get a signal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing out in the street with uh, uh, B-doubles rolling past. So I thought I'd better move into the cafe. Right. Hey, Brian, can you ask them what the phone call is all about? <laughs> so the next noise you hear will bread. be the, the coffee machine going, Brian. <laughs> Uh, just, just got one in front of me now. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, Brian, you're on a trip. You're you're in a little town called Hay. Hey, 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 yeah, yeah the- hey. That's where I am. <laughs> How you going? <laughs> How's Canada? Oh, I'm just great. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we, we we had we had a great ride. A uh, little bit cold. It was down to about uh, eleven degrees. Uh, this morning's not so bad, up to about 17, so that's okay. Um, so no snow, no no frost, uh, plenty of wildlife on the road though, kamikaze kangaroos everywhere. And, and what exactly are you doing? Going for a ride. <laughs> so there's no purpose to this other than just... Uh, no, we're going to the Rabbit Trap Hotel. Right, we did hear that. Shirley mentioned something about yeah, the rabbit. What is yeah, the attraction yeah, yeah. to this Rabbit Trap Hotel? Motel? Uh, well, I've got a couple of mates who um, all went to university together, and once every quarter they get together, uh, and they're from all over, well, up the eastern seaboard of Australia. So they're all meeting at the Rabbit Trap Hotel and all being invited along as a guest mm-hmm. uh, to come along and um, have a listen to them. There's a couple of uh, luminary uh, fellows involved with uh, four-wheel driving, um, Motorcycles, motorcycle editors, motorcycle riders, uh, motorcycle testers, car testers, um, and people like that. So they're a great bunch, bunch of guys, actually. Uh, you might, oh, I don't know whether you would have heard of John Ruth, but Ruthie does a, a uh, television program over here uh, on four-wheel driving. So uh, Ruthie's making his way down on his old 84 Harley that he's had since brand new. So, um, yeah, life's pretty good. They're all so, proof that doing a university education doesn't necessarily take you into academia. I'm the dunce of the crew. I'm the one that didn't go to this university. That we go. How will you communicate? So, so, so Brian, just, just so we can get a picture of where you are and what you're doing, describe this cafe you're in and then the town. <laughs> hey is um, on the edge of the Hay Plains, heading out through western uh, New South Wales, heading towards um, Mildura, the South Australian border. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's it's that flat out there. I was looking at it as we were coming across. Um, you could almost see the curvature of the earth. Um, it's like that. Um, but we're heading towards some hills now. We're going out through Lake Cajelago and uh, then heading across towards Albert, now, Albert is a little town that no one knows of. Um, it's near a place called Bogan. Have you ever heard of a Bogan? Bogan, no. No, uh, Bogan is Bogan is like a, um, uh, what would you call them, a hillbilly, Shirley? Would that be about right, you reckon? Uh, uh, be, be yeah. the American it's a very, de- a very derogatory thing to call someone a Bogan. Yeah, mm. yeah that's right. Okay. That's right. So, um, so Australians do it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That's right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, out in the uh, back box of Western New South Wales. So what does the town look like, the town of Hay? Um, one main street, um, some old buildings, uh, old banks and things like that, which um, 
it, it was basically the the hub of um, um, broad acre farming, you know, like one of those towns in Midwestern US, mm-hmm. um, but um, not very big, you know, it's sort of a couple of highways meet here, the Cobb Highway meets here. If you're coming from Adelaide in towards Sydney, you'd come through Hay. Um, so it's, it's sort of a, everyone sort of passes through and doesn't stop. Um, but we had a, thank you. Yeah. Um, Brian's getting his food or something. And and, and describe describe the cafe that you're sitting in. I, I picture it being like decorated in the 70s and, and really nothing's changed since then. 60s. 60s. Great. <laughs> and Brian, did they have Worcestershire sauce? I'm about to get my Worcestershire sauce delivered to me, sure. <laughs> what is it that you've ordered, Brian? Scrambled eggs. The lovely ladies just brought them to me. Scrambled eggs. Is, is it morning for you right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah it right, is. Right. I, I had to get up early. You wait. You kept me awake all night, Jim. Oh, you stressed about it to, to join up. You know, <laughs> well, I didn't cut into my drinking time last night. Ah, that's <laughs> terrible. I, I, you know, I really appreciate that, Brian. That was very kind of you. No, no, no. Well, where have you got to? Have you been talking about um, bodgy jobs on the road? We, we were talking about bodgy jobs, but I, I bet you have a ton to add to this. So I, I don't want to take <laughs> away from your breakfast. So you can you can sort of eat while you talk. I mean, that's fine. And we'll yeah, let, yeah, yeah, I can do that. We got the cafe as our as sort of our, our background right now. So those noises <laughs> that we hear with it, all that stuff, that's all the cafe. And that's just fine. We'll just live with that. Uh, you sure, mate? So we, we talked about a, a couple of bodge repairs. This, this is a question, Brian, yeah. because you don't know. It's it's a question that's been sent in from a listener. Uh, we, we talked about this, and you know about this, Stephen Nash. And it's a two-part question. Yeah. We're just covering the, the one part first. We're talking about bodge repairs. And we did talk about bodge yeah. and, and the different names for, for bodge repairs, et cetera, stopgap or, or yeah. makeshift, all that sort of yeah. stuff. And, but it made me think of yeah. you because I made the remark that farmers are king at this, which, which I'm sure you <laughs> you're used to doing. My father could fix anything with a piece of eight-gauge fencing wire. And, um, yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, the fencing wire for the farmer is kind of like the zip tie for the adventure motorcyclist. Yeah. And I made a quick couple of notes here, you know. Gaffer tape, cable ties, and eight-gauge fencing wire, and a bit of silver foil. That's all you need with your leather, and you can fix anything. Yeah, silver foil. Now, okay, so what are you using? Silver foil, you used to be able to get in cigarette packs, which you could find everywhere. So if you were doing electrical yep. things, it was something you could get. But you can't find that anymore. That's, that's not available as much. Well, well, that's true. That's true. But I, I think, did I tell you about, I was riding across to a bike race called the Castrol 6-Hour, and I very um, cleverly wired up a, um, a driving light to ride across the Hay Plains, heading towards Sydney and places like that. And um, I was riding with some mates that came into the hills uh, coming out of Sydney, which is quite twisty and quite cold. Um, it's on dusk. I turn on my lights on, and with the 750 Honda, all the wiring is behind the headlight, and instantly shorted out everything with smoke coming out of the headlight um, shell, the whole bit, you know. So here we are on the side of the road with a cigarette lighter trying to work out what the hell's gone wrong. Because when you put, you'd remember, Jim, and probably Sam, you know, when you jam things into the headlight shell, you can crunch up all the wires that sit behind there, and I reckon that's what I've done. Anyway, um, we had to use a piece of uh, silver foil out of my cigarette packet when I smoked to um, uh, fix up the fuse, the one fuse for the uh, 750 Honda, so I could get power to the engine. 
We were able to get power to the engine, but no lights. So we rode into Sydney with no lights on the bike at all, um, uh, dodging everybody that couldn't see me. Um, that was a bit interesting. That's so that a, was one of mine. That, that, that's a bod repair that didn't really work if you had to ride in with no lights, though. Well, yeah, but the engine got, I got the engine going. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I don't know. That might have, that could have been your undoing though, getting the engine running without the headlight. <laughs> true, true. And I've I, I got to say, uh, one we did fix for one of our mates in um, Texas, and Sheila remember this, uh, JJ is a, is a great, great guy, Jay Berry, and um, he um, had his almost vintage Harley that he used to ride as a motorcycle cop in Texas. And we're going for a ride on our trip circle to circle with him and quite a few others. And uh, we pulled into this town and JJ pulled his clutch in and instantly broke the uh, the nipple off the, um, the uh, clutch cable. So he's, he's all, oh, that's it, the trip's over, you know. Um, that's it, I'm going to have to go home. How am I going to get home? And I said, oh, hang on a minute, just, just hang on. So there's another guy with us and I... Fossicked around the back of this uh, cafe and found an old bicycle wheel, snipped off um, some spokes off the bicycle wheel, and we, we manufactured and jammed that in the, where the um, uh, clutch cable nipple goes with the clutch cable and got it functioning and um, rang up the nearest Harley dealer, which was about oh, 50 or 60 miles away uh, on a Saturday, and they said, oh, we can't fit a new clutch cable for you, but we can leave one out for you. So we rode um, get to um, this Harley dealer and all the mechanics were out the back after Saturday um, lunchtime or thereabouts having a beer and the clutch cable was sitting there. So we pulled in on this Harley and they said, oh, this is a, a two-hour job. You, know, you won't be able to do that. So me and a mate put our gloves on because with the Harleys, you've actually got to take the rear exhaust pipe off to get to the clutch housing. Um, oh. So we put our gloves in, stinking hot, pulled that off, and we had it up and running in half an hour. And they they sat there and could not believe we'd done this, <laughs> so much so that they brought over what they call beer over there, Budweiser, and um, we had a drink with them. So. <laughs> they were pretty impressed with what we could do on the road. <laughs> that's pretty good, especially when the bike is hot. But that's good design on Harley yeah. uh, for having it so you have to take the exhaust off to do the clutch cable. Oh, yeah. It's forward thinking. Design. I'm looking at one of my mates now who's sitting there on his phone, who, who's shaking his head, and I just got the finger, but he knows what I'm going to talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was on his ride on an old R60 BMW, and um, as sometimes happens with these old bikes, the muffler fell off. So um, Grant decided that he didn't want to leave this old muffler on the side of the road. So what he's done is he's got a stick off the side of the road, jammed the muffler on, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, used gaffer tape and anything else he could find to uh, tie on the muffler to the stick which then tied onto the subframe of the bike and rode home. Like that. <laughs> and I'm glad you were protecting his identity, Brian, by naming him in the first time. <laughs> you know, that's the second time Brian's done that no <laughs> when, he's, when he's protecting no somebody. No, no one will know who Greg is. I won't use his, um, his, um, his no, name. You as, may um, use his pseudonym. Come on. No, no. I, won't, I won't, won't use his writing name, no. Yeah, what's his last Banner. name? 
<laughs> so Brian, you, you go ahead. Your food is hot. You go ahead and eat that. I'm, I'm going to come back to you, but uh, surely okay, now I, I was going to ask you now, I don't think you're doing any bodge repairs. Are you on the motorcycle? Uh, no, okay. I just watch them being done and, and roll your eyes and shake your head. Right? <laughs> well, pretty much, but pretty what much. If- I mean, we had, um, we had a, a top box on our 1150 on our first trip and the, the rack would break at a regular um, occurrence during the trip. So, so much so that I could tell when it had broken because I'd just moved my back about an inch and know there was nothing behind me and the top box was waving in the breeze. And the thing that used to get me, we'd go, particularly in um, Asia, that we would find an aluminium welder, which wasn't so easy, and they would be equipped with safety boots i.e. rubber thongs, and possibly a pair of sunglasses, but more than often not, and would sit on the ground and weld the um, the bike rack back together. And oh, that just man. used to astound me, the work that they could do on the floor in a shop, but the lack of safety. But they still got it going, got the bike um, rack back on and the, the thing stable again. Extraordinary people. Were, were there a bunch of blind old men sitting around with severe burns? <laughs> <laughs> probably. They probably were, and they kept them at home. Right, those, those are the old welders. <laughs> Cheryl, that, that, that rack is hanging up in my shed, so I you can know. take a photo and send it to Jim. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a great idea, Brian, do that. And is that a trophy that you have it up there, or are you going to use it as a spare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's no, a no, it's a trophy, but... Um, it goes with was. the um, with the Enfield from that trip. They're the two things that we won't sell from that trip. <laughs> but but surely, what what I, where I was going with this was I was going to ask you: Is there anything that you bodge that you take on the trip with you? Is there anything that you've had to either make do with or or find some other application for or something like that? Um, not really, Jim. I'm not. I have to tell you, and this will come as a huge surprise, I'm sure, that I'm not a very practical person. <laughs> So for me, taking something that could bodge something up would be pretty much a waste of time because I wouldn't really know what to do with it anyway. But um, I have put um, a uh, inflatable bed from the camping gear into a bath and stood on it to try and work out where the hole was. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to do it. Of course, a little bit of soapy water on it is a lot easier, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. That's now, a- see, there you go. I just <laughs> thought a whole bath full of water, we could have got the whole bed done in once rather than just... <laughs> Fiddling around with bits and pieces. Pour a bit of soapy water on it and, and look for the leak. And the soap actually makes the bubbles stand out more than standing out in the tub. And I like it. I, I like the image that I have here with you. So really what you're saying, Shirley, is that, is that you're, um, you're really, e- and I'm sure Brian will back this up, you're really easy to please because if something goes wrong, you're not that worried about it. You just live without it. No, I'll get someone else to fix it, Jim. Oh, okay. Oh, I was searching for something there. And there's the yeah, phone in the cafe she, she, again. She, she, Oh, yeah, that's the phone at the cafe. <laughs> do they take yeah. orders or something? Why would the phone ring so often? Yeah, they do. Oh, they, they take do. orders. Oh, they, get, and they, get truckies, they get truckies coming through. Remember, Shirley, we were at a place where the truckies um, would ring up the um, their order and it'd be delivered to them out the front as a, a truck was idling. At the White Cliff, White yeah. Cliff an open mining town, and the trucks would yeah. idle. The driver would just leap out of the cabin, run into the shop, pick up his food and his drink and get back in the truck and keep going. Mm. Yeah, that's right. They, they use the two-way or the phone. Now, Brian, I think you were going to say something derogatory about me then when you clicked back in. Well, you have gone without your makeup, love. 
Well, I've also left half of my clothes you know, on a bed in Sofia and had to live without T-shirts and underwear for a little while as well. well so. I wasn't going to mention, I wasn't gonna mention <laughs> the bras that you left behind. You had to go commando for a while there. <laughs> Settle down, Brian. So- Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't find anything to improvise for that underwear you didn't have, Shirley? Uh, no, Jim, no. I didn't. That would have been a good story, though, wouldn't it? I took a T-shirt, I cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But there is a there is a housekeeper in Sofia wandering around with the Horizons Unlimited T-shirt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brian, is there an argument breaking out there at the cafe, or what's going on? Uh, no, no, it's a very, very very busy little cafe. Oh, I, I hear I heard somebody talking, and it seemed louder than before. So I was wondering if someone's no, going. No, 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 no. Thought yeah, maybe they're going to throw somebody side. out. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the front door, so I'll be the bouncer. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, how about you? Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. First, I, I wanted to ask about that makeup thing. So, Shirley, you just went without the makeup? You, you didn't find anything to improvise? You know, that, I hate to say this, Jim, but that is just, he is so lucky he's in hay and not sitting at the table with me now because he would have had a very sore kidney from you know, where I, I would have punched him. I think I like this. You know, if Brian, if you could do this every time we go to record raw, this could really work out. You just pick a new place. It's not like it's going to be difficult for you to do, <laughs> to, to get on your bike and ride somewhere. It's great. Don't just go, home go to the room at the other end of the house. Is. I suppose it would be the same. Yeah, thanks, mate. And, and I think you just I'll didn't hear Grant. Shed. Thanks very much. Yeah, Grant said, don't go home for a while afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I might be riding by myself today. <laughs> What, you think all the boys will take my side? No, um, yeah, I don't believe I've ever um, – uh, makeup is not an issue for me when we're travelling, I have to say. Mm. Michelle, how about you? How about you? A- a- any other things that you've had to, to bodge? Camping gear? Uh, yeah, camping gear. I, funny you should ask because I was thinking about it when this question popped up. Not so many bodge jobs in my experience as far as bikes, but I have had to fix zippers, patch – uh, sleeping mats, tents, work with camp stoves, all sorts of stuff. And I think I invented a really cool new sleeping bag when I was on the road in Mexico one time. Mm. But um, yeah, I just haven't had the chance to patent it yet. So just so happened I had this lovely sleeping bag, kind of a mummy style. And the zipper just now and then would catch a little bit of the fabric on itself. So it would get stuck and you'd have to kind of wiggle and tug the fabric back out of it. And eventually the zipper would come open. Well, one night in the middle of the night, I had to go to the bathroom and I was in a rush. And of course, that's the time the zipper would catch and it's stuck and it's dark and I can't find my flashlight because it's a mummy bag. You're stuck inside, stuck. <laughs> stuck inside the bag. I'm stuck inside the bag. So, oh, and, and bladder, of course, is yelling at me and my, my body is saying, you have to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> so anyway, I... I pulled and and tried to fiddle with the zipper and could not get it to. So I finally just ripped and it broke the zipper and I pulled the fabric out. I got out of business that evening, but then I came back to a broken zipper on my sleeping bag. So in a sleeping bag zipper is something like, you know, a meter and a half, like 60 inches. Um, And to find one of that size anywhere on the road is probably really difficult, even in the U.S. So we were in Mexico. I I just made do. It was unzipped. It was broken for a couple of weeks, but 
to a bigger city in Mexico and I went to a local fabric store and they didn't have a 60 inch zipper, but they did have 18 inch zippers that would go on like the front of a, maybe a hoodie or a jacket that you could unzip and they came apart at the bottom. So he took three of those, they were 18 inches long and three of them head to tail were long enough to be the length of the sleeping bag zipper. So I sewed them in place and then they were, it was, it was perfect because it was sort of an adjustable sleeping bag. So if my feet got hot, I could stick my feet out and unzip the bottom zipper. If my shoulders were cold, I could zip up the top zipper and leave the bottom two zippers undone. And so it was just really (laughs) adjustable and I loved it. So I still have that sleeping bag. Still like that. So these three zippers (laughs) are three independent zippers. Three independent zippers. Yes. Get onto the patents office now. That's (laughs) good. Because someone is going to make that. Someone sleeping is, bag and I'm will be on the you. market at the next HU meeting. <laughs> they should. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the best sleeping bag I've ever had because it's so perfectly adjustable. So yeah, I hope somebody uh, runs with it. They can have it. But you have to add some time into that though, right? I mean, if you have to go to the washroom in the middle of the night, you got to realize you have three zippers to undo and do back up again. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't, you don't see those things until you're, you're dealing with them in the middle of the night, but right, yeah. Right. I would have loved to have seen a video of your tent in the middle of the night and all of a sudden the shaking around <laughs> as you're exactly. wrestling your sleeping bag. That would have been great. Words yeah. And yes. <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. I'm you know, glad nobody has video of that. Thank you. Well, that's what's great. But for a guy, you can just take a, a water bottle to bed with you. You don't even have to get out of bed. See, you get the middle zipper undone. You leave leave the top one, leave the bottom one. Oh, right. You just roll over on your belly. It's perfect. That sleeping bag design is, it's it's what's up and coming, I promise. You know, I'm going to bleep out just little parts of this so that people won't be able to actually figure out exactly what you did. And that way no one will steal your idea because it's great. (laughs) <laughs> you know, just the vision of, of a fellow with the middle zipper and a water bottle is something I will now never be able to forget. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyone else? Any uh, any bodge stories? Brian, are you done your breakfast? Uh, uh, another cup of coffee on the way. Mm. Um, uh, sure, remember when we uh, – a tank bag used to keep breaking all the time. The zippers on that kept breaking all the time. We had it fixed up on the road. Um, on the oh, side yeah. of the road. Yeah. In um, somewhere in South America, a man with a sewing machine on the side of the road who could fix yeah. anything, he could have fixed yep. your sleeping bag, Michelle, in a heartbeat. <laughs> he put new zippers into the tank bag. It was better than when it came out of the BMW factory, and it was for about a handful of dollars. It was so cheap. Pesos. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And another great story, not that we're going to mention his name. Um, remember in Vietnam when he uh, he blew a shoe, his, his old riding boots, the, the sole went in the riding boots. He was walking along like um, Elmer Fudd, you know, with the the, the, <laughs> um, the sole flapping. And we ended up having to uh, <laughs> find someone to fix that. <laughs> Good as new. I think he's still wearing them, actually. He's probably got them on now as he's sitting well, opposite he's, you wanting to strangle you for telling these stories. Yeah, he's nodding at me saying, you still got those boots. <laughs> but that's the thing when you're travelling through um, Asia and South America and some of the uh, less financially well-off countries, they can fix anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas in places like Australia, and I presume it's the same in the, in the US and, and Canada and England, 
if it's broke, you get rid of it. But in so many other countries, they have to think outside the square how to fix things. I, I prefer that. I really do. I mean, I think things should be repaired. I think all, everything, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but I think everything should be made to be repaired. You should be able to fix I agree. things. Yeah. But yes. they make things now to break and not be able to repair them. Definitely. So many things you talk to um, repair people about, like um, printers for, for computers these days, those little home printers. It's cheaper to buy a new one than replace the inks. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. it's crazy. It's, I know that's, it is crazy, but you know that's that's the way of the of the um, of the new world, I guess. But um, to watch some of these people fix shoes and bike racks and things on the side of the road, it's just extraordinary. There is a little bit of good news there. There are some new laws that have come into effect where they have to the manufacturer has to make it repairable, and they have a, Apple is now selling spare parts like screens and things for their iPhones that they did not use to sell mm -hmm. because of this new law. So things, things are looking up in that regard. Is that just in Canada? Or is it US, so far as I know, I mean, if they're starting to sell parts in, in the US, they're going to be immediately available elsewhere, aren't they? So that will come elsewhere. And I think other countries will follow suit. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so to, does, does anyone else have anything else to add to this? Oh, I do. Okay, so go for it. What do you got? <laughs> um, I, I was thinking back um, when this topic came up about um, other people that I've met and some of the stories they've told me about things that they've done. And I met a French guy and the baffles in his silences had gone. You know, he'd been um, traveling um, coastal areas and hot, humid areas and this sort of thing. And of course, that will rust away the inside of, of silences. Um, and he really didn't want to take these um, silences off his bike because it was an old bike and these were originals. So, um, but he was very nervous when he was coming up to doing border crossings um, because, of course, you don't want to attract attention. You just want to creep on through as quietly and um, unobtrusively as you possibly can. So when he was heading towards a border, he'd always hunt the supermarkets and he'd buy um, wire wool washing up pads. And when he was getting close to the border, he'd just stuff these up the exhaust pipe ease his way across the border and over the next miles his, his bike would just get noisier and noisier as he left a, a trail of wire wool behind him and I just love that story um, Cliff and Jenny from the Adventure Bike Shop um, they were telling me at the weekend about um, uh, a couple of things that they used to do or they had to do um, they rode two F650 Funduros from UK across Asia to New Zealand and Chris said um, he, he actually paid a lot of time on good preventative work. So he didn't have so many bodges to do. But at one time, he had to super glue parts of his carburetor together. And another time, the front chain cog keep, kept coming off the spindle. Um, the relevant split pins that he was carrying weren't strong enough to actually hold it on. So he used two cable ties. Um, but and, and they these two cable ties held um, the, the the cog onto the spindle for the next seven thousand miles. But he said the trick was, and I wouldn't have thought of this, but it makes infinite sense. The trick was to cross the cable ties, and that way you were locking the two cable ties to each other, and they were far less likely to move. And that was how they actually stayed on. So that was quite a good one. Oh, that, that's going um, around the shaft itself. You're talking about mm, there was right. nothing to hold it on the shaft. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, and it just seemed completely logical because, you know, an ordinary um, cable tie around it eventually would get, just get pulled off. But these two crisscrossed like that, apparently they, 
they locked each other on. And I said, well, I would never have thought of that. So, yeah. Okay, nice Sam, to- I, I just want to take a little break here. To go along with that, I saw another method for solving the missing front sprocket nut. Take a Coke bottle, cut the bottom off, and wedge it in between, and the sprocket will just rub against the plastic, and it's lubricated. Against the housing, you're talking about against the cover. Against the cover, between the cover and the sprocket. Mm -hmm. Just You cut it just exactly the right amount so that it's pushing gently against the sprocket and holds it in place. And I had a guy that said he went 6,000 miles that way. No problem. Might be a little rough on the splines. They're really not meant to be run like that, but yeah, I guess yeah. that'll work. You get home. How do you lose the the nut for the? I just don't get that. Where where did the nut go? Not properly tightened up in the first place, and the uh, uh, washer that is supposed to be bent up against it wasn't done tightly enough. Ah, Simple. right. Happens all the time. The DRZ four hundred that I ride, it's a common issue. People don't get them up tight enough. But, but if you put your lock washer on, that little tab that you bend over, there's no way it's going to come undone. If you put it on properly and tightly, yes. But a lot of people just kind of do a quick bend and that's it. It's not good enough. Mm, I see. Right. Lesson learned the hard way. Yep. I met um, an Italian guy called Carlo in Zambia. And um, he came off his bike quite hard on a dirt road and he twisted his left ankle. So... Um, you know, flicking through the gears, it just wasn't possible for him. But, you know, he's way out in the middle of nowhere and he's on his own. Uh, so he, he cut a sapling, which um, about a metre and a bit long. Um, but the bottom of it, one of the, the, the twigs, branches that was coming off this um, sapling, he left the hook sort of shape, if, if I can describe it, like a tick mark. Um, and he used this sapling to change gear. Um, hook up and um, the end of it to pushed down and uh, he made it 40 miles through the bush until he could get somewhere that he could rest up until his ankle was um, sorted out. And I just thought, yeah, power of innovation. It just works, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Ted Healy, who was uh, riding through Ethiopia, um, if you've read the Moment Collectors, you'll know this story, but if not, he put a, a slash in one of his tires. And this is the risk of having to ride at night. He had a sharp rock. Uh, hundreds of miles away from uh, a chance to to fix it. So he lined his tyre with cardboard, um, repaired his um, tube and rode on, but very carefully. And I met um, a a guy, an American guy in Mexico, and I didn't write his name down, and I don't remember it for the life of me, but he told me that um, he'd had the same sort of issue. And he glued together um, five $1 bills and stuck those over the the hole in the tyre with repair glue. Because the way dollar bills are made... Um, this was really tough. Um, and he said, yeah, it stayed there for uh, for quite a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've got loads of stories here. But has anybody ever sat down and made a list of things that they would take as an ideal bodge kit? Uh, well, Sam, that's exactly what I wanted to do to finish this off is I, w- I wanted to do that. I want to run through and, and everybody just pitch in what you carry for your for your bodge kit, yeah, I mean, I get I ne- nice. I've never called it a bodge kit, but but yeah, that's it. I was going to mention that you see lots of people with things like broken windshields, you know, where they've they've drilled holes and they've stitched it together with wire. Grant, I think yep. have you done that? I, I have done that. I've, yeah. It's still on the bike, and it's twenty years later, and it's still fine. Uh, I really? came I came home and I thought I really should replace that, and said Susan said no, 
that costs money and it's fine. It yeah. works perfectly. <laughs> and it adds and character. It does. It's fine. It tells it, a story. It tells a story. Yeah, that's exactly right. But but okay. Yeah. So let's do that, Sam. Let's do the the bodge tools and and I said and equipment is what I was thinking because it, it may not be a tool. And I think in a lot of cases it's not. It's the stuff Brian said what what he had there. What would you carry, Sam? Or what do you carry? Uh, a tube of JB Weld to start off with. That's liquid yes. liquid metal for those listeners who haven't come across it yet. And that's just a classic. And it's it's they're small and um, don't take up much space, but my goodness, multitude of uses. 20 or so cable ties of various sizes. And I know um, quite a few people who actually twist them several times around their frame so that they can carry the length um, and that the cable ties are accessible when they want to use them. I mean, you can get reusable cable ties now. Oh, and this is a thought. With the price of um, petroleum products going up, it's probably going to be worth that we all start stockpiling cable ties, isn't it? <laughs> um, a couple of Jubilee clips. Now, I know that's a very English name, and I was trying hard to work out what it, what it was um, in hose Canadian, clamp. Australian. It's a hose clamp. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. And a don't carry these as well. Sorry. Gear ge- clamp? Gear clamp as well, yeah. Okay. Don't carry these in your um, your luggage. Just tighten them onto your frame at different sizes. Just tighten them onto your frame and then again, they're easily accessible and they're not taking up um, luggage space. I like um, a small roll of good quality electrical tape and I don't bother with the stuff that you get in dollar shops and things like that. It's just not worth carrying. Um, but um, a roll of, of good quality electrical tape. 24 inches of slightly heavier, um, heavier duty electrical wire, um, because that way you can splice, you can do continuity checks on the electrics and that sort of thing. About 24 inches, so two feet, that's, that's um, a good length to have to play with that. Um, I don't know how many of you guys carry um, heat shrink, but um, I never did on the big trip, but I do now because I've come across it and it's just fantastic and it flattens down and... Um, so we carry about six inches of heat shrink that's about the, the size of my thumb and three inches that's about the size of two fingers together. And that's just wonderful for waterproofing things in, in vulnerable places. And you can hold all sorts of things together with the heat shrink. Um, I used to carry a folded piece of self-adhesive um, muffler tape, um, I guess, Probably if I was doing a big trip, then I would do again. And I, I, I don't carry a full roll of duct tape anymore, or gaffer tape as some call it, but um, wrap a, um, a couple of metres around my frame in several places on the bike. And I always make sure that I fold over a corner so that um, unrolling it is, is easy. And I try to find places that are in the shade to put this so that um, the tape isn't in full sunshine all of the time. I mean... Rolls of duct tape, gaffer tape, they take up a lot of space. But if you've just got it strapped on the bike, again, it's luggage space saved and it's easily accessible for when you need it. Um, A cough drop size tin of spare nuts, bolts and washers, split pins, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, a good old um, square of aluminium foil, um, just flattened down and folded up and tucked into your kit. And something what I always like to carry is um, two large truck tyre puncture repair patches um, not only are they great for pa- repairing punctures if you get a slash in it that sort of thing but they can be used as anti-rub layers insulation all sorts of um, uses but that's pretty much what goes into my my bodge kit mm, that's that's extensive I, I like that the duct tape thing you know a lot of people talk about this or maybe they wrap it around a, a water bottle or something like that 
Do you do that on your on your eight on your F eight hundred? Um, I haven't done it yet, but I will be. You'll be wrapping around there. Yeah. Well, why not? Because why take up space in a pannier, a luggage box, when you don't need to? No, I get it. But there, there's small rolls you can get. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess my thought is, because I've never done it on the bike before. I've never done the wrap. And I've never done it on water bottles. With outdoors things, a lot of people say they put on their water bottles and wrap around. But to me, it's not worth the hassle. And it gets dirty on the sides because the tape is is sticky, right? So the sides get sticky mm-hmm. with heat. The glue, the, the stickiness tends to squish out the sides and attract all kinds of dirt and crap. And I've just found it's better off to have a, a small roll. And I'm not countering what you're saying, Sam. I'm just saying for me, no, no. Uh, a small roll of um, of duct tape is better. It tends to be more compact. The hole in the middle is much smaller. So you can throw that into your, your bag. And duct tape being so handy for so many different things things from oh, it's sealing incredible. bags up to fixing, I don't know, you could fix your sleeping bag if your zipper went temporarily. You could do something like that. You could make a visor. You can make rain gutters. You can just so, do so many things with duct tape. And doesn't it lose its stickiness if you're winding it on and then winding it off and then it's got the dirt and the heat and everything of being on the bike? Somewhat, yeah. Wouldn't it, it lose its, um, it wouldn't be at its premium, I'm thinking, Sam. No, it's not. Um but if if you if you wrap it around the frame when you're in a clean environment and you try and keep it out and you know wrap it in places where they're not going to be um, in the sunshine, uh, I've got mates who put them behind the side panels on their bikes, for example. Um, so the outside layer that gets dirty, but um, all of the layers underneath it, all of the wrap rounds underneath, they stay clean. Just the equivalent of actually still having it on the on the original roll. Yeah, I'd like to get rid of the hole. And there is a way mm-hmm. to do that. My method is to use up most of a roll of tape. And then when it gets down to, oh, quarter inch or half an inch of tape on the roll, mm-hmm. okay, stop. And then whack it with a hammer until it's flat. Yep. Yeah. And yep. it's out of the way. That works. Yeah, that's what we did on the big around it. Yeah. Just yeah it's that's, ex- that's exactly what I do with it. So, Grant, if Shirley looked in the bottom of that tool roll that lives in the bottom of her patio, that, all that stuff's in there. You know, just yeah. basically what you said, apart from the nuts and bolts. Because yep. uh, nuts and bolts on my bike don't seem to vibrate off. See? Loctite, no, Loctite, um, Loctite. <laughs> Loctite, um, nylocs, nuts. And yes. yeah, check yeah, them yeah. regularly. Every time you've done a, um, a bumpy road, you know, a long stretch of vibration yeah. type road, then exactly. put the kettle on, make a brew. Yeah. And while, he do, yeah. while that's yeah. boiling, um, boiling and brewing, then go around your bike and check your nuts yeah. and bolts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The idea of a big. Um, Punch a repair kit from it for a uh, truck tire or a car tire is fantastic. I've used that before. I tend to be fixing other people's tires, not mine. And uh, yeah, you use, you know, you're always doing that. And I, the last trip I went on, I used three or four of those um, uh, sticky ones you use on trial bike tires. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be pretty good. So I, I have a, a variety of them. Uh, and what I notice is you got to keep it, if you use your glue. Your glues sometimes um, get a bit um, gunky and you're better off just getting a new little uh, tube of glue all the time, about every 12 months. I think as soon as you open it, really, you should, shouldn't you? Because it, it just evaporates. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always yeah. the, you go to pull it out the next time, the tube looks fine, but you go to squeeze it and it's just, bah, there's nothing there's there. There's nothing there. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. And also, you know, if it gets squashed in the pannier, sometimes that happens too, you know, if, it, if it's not protected well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I carry several tubes just to make sure. I know some people yeah. have bought the big tube. Oh, the big tube. And that'll last for a whole trip. No. no. Yeah. yeah. You're better off with yeah. smaller ones. Exactly I, right. I agree. And the thing is, Several Brian, it's always better to be working on somebody else's bike anyway. I love that. 
I hate it when it's my bike. <laughs> Not my problem. <laughs> if it doesn't work. It's just so much more relaxing. The rider's sweating yeah, it. You're helping yeah, them yeah. fix it, you know, rather than you being the one holding up the group, right? Yeah. Well, last time I, I was I was the one scratching around in the dirt trying to fix the back tire while he stood there and looked at me, which was uh, interesting. But anyway. <laughs> you may as well name him too, Brian, seeing you've known him. <laughs> yeah, you, you have no friends left on this trip anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A lot of what we're talking about, it's actually time to sit down and think, well, what can I scrounge up and yeah. how can I still make this work? Panicking just doesn't work, does it? It's just stand back, take a moment, think logically and be innovative. Um, so yeah, one, of the other, one of the other things, Sam, that you didn't mention is tie downs. You know, like when you, you, you tie a bike down into the back of a, a truck, mm. the BMW ones that they, they have um, with their new bikes are fantastic and they just throw them out. Yep. I've got three or four I keep in a little um, pocket on the side of the bike, and they're great. Um, yep, yep. And that came about because um, well, years and years and years ago, I was travelling with a mate, and um, stupid, he ran out of petrol in the middle of the night, and he hadn't. And so what we had to do is um, take our belts off our pants and uh, make a tow rope out of two belts uh, oh, to great. tow me. To tow me. <laughs> wow. Don't think I that want to watch it. the results when you get off your bikes. Yeah. <laughs> Two guys with their pants around their knees towing bikes. So that's a horrible scene. Oh, that's a YouTube moment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sam, I was going to say, very good. it's a very good point you made there about, about stopping and, and thinking about it. The other thing you do is, is get everybody in on it. Get everybody to mm-hmm. sort of come up with ideas. You don't have to be a mechanic or, or have mechanical knowledge. There's been so many times where I've had to do a bod repair and my wife, Elizabeth, will will say, well, what about this? Well, try this or, or what about that? And and it Ooh. works, you know? So it's it's just having another mind there to try and, and help you sort it out, to come up with an idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Brian, your suggestion about the luggage straps, that makes so much sense. They are having spares, just, just spot yeah. on. Berg and I both actually carry ours, but around the outside of our panniers because then we don't have to find anywhere to store them inside. And if we need them in an emergency, then they're really handy. Oh, I've just thought of something I haven't got on my list. And I can't remember what they're called. You know, we just said about um, helping each other out with ideas. You, you can probably tell me exactly what these are. You know, um, Brian, you maybe think of this um, first when you were talking about the, um, the clutch cable going and the nipple going on the end. Um, you know, when you lose the, the nipple on the bottom end of the the clutch yeah, or, cable or the top same thing yep mm-hmm. um you can get ones that you can actually screw on oh just a, a clamp on end. like a yeah instead of the swaged end or the or the pressed end that you've got yeah the clamp on version end. yeah exactly yep. yeah and i yep. that's yep. got to be there's worth there's companies that actually make it there's oh who is it might be motion pro that makes a kit with a spare throttle cable or but it can also be used for a clutch cable temporarily and some repair bits for the ends, I've had one in my kit for years and years, and it's just I've never needed to use it, but it's there when I do because one of the first bodges I ever did in my life on motorcycles, I was 16, my throttle cable broke, and I'm out 100 miles away from home. Now what do I do? Well, that all I did was just take the outer throttle cable off and use just the inner, and turn it into a loop and put my thumb in it and that was how I got home just by pulling it was on my right hand of course and left hand turns were a little exciting as the bike seriously accelerated 
and other rights. It just died, but it worked. But that taught me carry cable repairs. Right. So, so what that is, is that's, that's like a, um, that's like a, a little piece of metal with a hole drilled in the middle of it. And then at a right angle to it is another hole that's threaded, has a screw in it. So you put the wire through and then you do up that screw and that makes your, your throttle cable end. That's what, that's what you're talking about, Sam. Yeah. Right. Now, the other way to do that, if you had to do a repair, is to fold the wire over and crimp it with just about anything. If you can find any sort of metal, crimp it or or wrap tape around it or something like that, because that fold and very light pressure will usually hold it enough that you won't pull it back through. So there's all kinds oh, of nice. little things you can you can come up with with this. Yeah. But um, that, that's a great list you got there, Sam. Uh, I've written it down. We're going to post that in the show notes as well. So people will be able to see what you came up with. Does anyone else have anything to add to that? I had just a couple things that come to mind, and I will defer to the more experienced mechanics and bodgers of the crew for sure. But I do have in my toolkit um, a tiny, it's an old chapstick, um, like a for lips, uh, like a tube that's empty. And I filled it up with um, grease for packing wheel bearings on the side of the road. So it's super tiny. Um, ah. But if you needed to do a repair when you're traveling, it's just the right amount. And then I carry a tiny little square of sandpaper um, that I've actually used for kind of brushing up a spark plug when it's gunked up. And I also carry clear tape. So similar to what Grant suggested about a roll of tape, like duct tape, when you get down to the last quarter inch or so on the roll, then you can flatten it and pack it. But clear tape has worked for me on windshields or windscreens a bit better. Um, I've used it on like my map, uh, the clear map, um, holding portion of my tank bag. So I don't have to cover it up with duct tape, for example, and then block out being able to see what I'm trying to look at. And I've used it on like a tent window so that I can still see mm. and use that clear tape for those. So just a couple of tiny little things that I have in my toolkit too. Great additions. I like the grease tube. That's neat. I hadn't thought about that. And the piece of sandpaper, of course, that's also handy for doing a tire repair. Clear tape, you, you yep. can get that as duct tape as well. Is that what you're talking about? The, the clear duct tape? Yep. Yeah. But it's clear. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, the, and you can even get it with, um, with fabric in it that makes it a little stronger. Same as duct tape, but, it, right. but it's still translucent. So that, that's very cool. Anyone else? Yeah. Duct, oh, tape, duct tape and uh, gaffer tape are not the same thing at all. Just so you know. Uh, gaffer tape's Thank in the you. film industry, right? Gaffer tape's film industry and it's really, really adhesive but it comes off and doesn't leave a mess behind, which is why I love it instead of duct tape. It's just so much better, but it's four or five times the price, but that's okay. You're, oh, this is an emergency stuff. You can get a roll for about eight or $10, which was just a small roll. Otherwise the full size duct tape roll we're thinking of is usually six or $7 and the gaffer tape is $25, but hey, it's good, good stuff, much tougher. But that's interesting. I mean, we we um, our, our tent we had it for years on 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 the big trip, and um, the seam started leaking in the fly sheet, and we used duct tape um, stupidly um, to reseal it. And of course, you can imagine the sticky, horrible, oh. gungy mess mm. that that turned into. Yeah. That was the lesson learned the hard way. Oh, especially you roll it up and it heats up oh, and it horrible. comes off. Yep. And, yeah. Duct tape yeah. is good for a, a, a quick emergency repair, but if you're going to leave it on for more than two days, it's horrible. Yeah. I hate mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Oh, and that cable repair kit, I just did a quick search. Oxford makes a cable repair kit for $12 Canadian. It's got everything you could need in it. It's a lovely little thing. So oh, just search for 
Oxford Cable Repair Kit. Can I laugh at myself for a minute and have you please, guys laughing please. at me too? <laughs> we'll, we can oh, do that. Okay. We're good at it. <laughs> there, was, there was a time when um, I knew nothing um, about motorcycling and we all start off that way, don't we? <laughs> but to my shame and embarrassment, this little event happened about seven and a half years into the trip. So I had learned quite a lot, but I obviously still had loads to learn. And hey, the day we stop learning, that's the day we need to turn our toes up. Um, Sometimes Birgit and I used to ride to places um, specifically because people told us that it wasn't worth the bother. And I know that makes us perverse. But when we were in Denver, Colorado, we did full services on both our bikes and set off riding east through Kansas. And it was one of those places that everybody said to us, oh, don't bother with going there. It's, there's nothing happens. It's boring and it's just flat and uninteresting and so on. But we loved it. We stopped and we talked to locals right the way across. And we learned so much about a completely different side of life in the USA than we would have done had we not um, gone that way. And because the locals just weren't used to seeing the likes of us and talking to us, after people had stopped being suspicious of us, there were lots of laughs and um, it, it was a really nice thing to do. Now, I did know a fair bit about my bike, um, but most of that was servicing and having to sort out a few things that went wrong. And I had no idea how a split diaphragm was going to affect the way my bike would ride. Um, I didn't know what the symptoms were, and I ended up riding across Kansas with my throttle wide open at 40 miles an hour. I mean, what an idiot. A bit of electrical tape um, or even duct tape or even super glue would have sorted that. But hey, we learned some lessons the hard way. Um, and so the moral of this story is if you ride a carburetor, carburetor bike and your bike wallows and farts and will only go slow speed, a bit like a drunken hippo, then check your diaphragm or at least ask somebody. And this is what was making me laugh because we weren't ashamed to talk or you know, afraid to talk to locals about them and their lives and how it was and all this sort of stuff but we didn't ask for help and how stupid was that so do i recommend riding across kansas at 40 mile an hour well yes if you have the time but not if your throttle is thirstily wide open <laughs> not at today's <laughs> can i take that a little bit further sam, sam please do um, uh we, we were having a little talk about sort of those bodge jobs and uh grant was telling us about um uh, riding with a mate and um, all the throttle cables broken. He sat on pinion on the bike, on a, a, a twin cylinder bike with two uh, carburetors, pulling the uh, accelerators, uh, the cables to accelerate the bike while his mate rode it. So he was sitting <laughs> here, on the back. here. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's what right. could He's possibly there. go wrong? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Here he comes now on his new bike. Um, now, uh, the other thing was, Sam, when you were talking about the diaphragms on um, carburetors, um, you know what fixes that, don't you? Condoms. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. I talking about it last night. You can use a condom to fix that for, for a short time. That's true. So um, most... Um, uh, service stations you go into, gents, you'll find um, one somewhere. Don't get the ribbed version, though, just get the straight one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, here's, here's one for you. You've got to add that to the list, then, haven't you? Condom, that'll get everybody going. How about chocolate flake condom? How about that? Condom, hey, stop, ask stop Brian. 
<laughs> Sorry, Ryan, guys. can you imagine my face now? Just <laughs> uh, gee, uh. Does does that top out our list now? Grant, do you have anything to add to that? Um, Tops out something. Pretty good list. <laughs> No. That's a pretty good list. JB Welds, bailing wire, bit of gaffer tape. And that's kind of my basics. I, I will say one little thought. Fence wire or bailing wire, whatever you want to call it, does not work as a master link for more than about <laughs> 200 feet. And I made it 10 miles that way. So you can imagine how much bailing wire I went through. But yeah, this was back when I was 16 and didn't know that chains wore out. Oh, did it wear out? <laughs> <laughs> and finally failed. Yeah. Doesn't right. work. Not well. So I, I guess, well, and, and this is a bodge repair thing, because I was going to say you could throw in there a master link if you have a chain. Uh, yes, which is handy. But, but I mean, the thing is, this, this is a bodge kit. The whole idea is to not have the master link and then have to bodge it somehow. <laughs> That's yeah, the idea well, with this list. <laughs> A genuine master link will be much better than bailing wire, and yeah. I'm sure duct tape won't work at but, all. But I'll tell you, though, if you had had a master link there and you'd put it in, it wouldn't have made a story. You wouldn't even remember that it happened. And look at the story you've got. So There you go. There, we're, we're much farther ahead now. Okay. So um, I guess we'll, we'll wrap that up there. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with part two. Uh, now, if you've, if you've got a weak stomach... Maybe part two, you're going to have to cover years in certain parts. You you just have to judge it. And we'll give you enough time. You know, you, you'll be able to prepare yourself for this. So that, that'll be part two. First, we'll take a break here. This episode has been supported by Fresh Tracks, freshtracks.co.uk. Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, and they work with companies to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. Hey, has anybody ever been on a team building exercise? Yes, I have. Yeah, same here, Sam. Yeah, I've been on team building for my work, but um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, um, I've done them before actually too, and I, I think it's neat. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to to do that with people, and it certainly does um, connect people that aren't otherwise connected. Specifically in in a work environment where you go and you work with people all the time, but when you sort of step outside of that and you do a team building exercise, I don't know, you just make some sort of connection with people that you wouldn't otherwise have. Anyway, that's what Fresh Tracks does. They work with um, companies like uh, Mars, Pfizer. Yahoo Comic Relief. Um, if you've got a company, have a look at freshtracks.co.uk. Thank you, Fresh Tracks. So for part two, part two of Stephen's question, you know, if you've got the weak stomach, don't get queasy just yet. Just hang in there. But you may want to guard your ears as we get into this because part two that Stephen has written here, it's about bad eating experiences. So he, he's asking, uh, he says, you know, when, you're, when traveling, you often expect to, to have some bad eating experience. But what's the best tasting thing the panel has ever eaten, better than they expected, that they really expected to be awful? So one of those dishes that really blew your mind. And then let's look at the other one. And, and of course, and, and look at the, the worst thing that you've eaten. Maybe you thought it was going to be good. So how about you guys? What have you been served on a trip that you expected to be bad and was great or you expected to be great and was bad? Hmm. I was noticing the, the note you put in here. What do you think about pushing yourself to try local foods, no matter how bizarre? <laughs> and my immediate answer to that was, it all depends on your stomach. 
sadly, I have a very delicate little stomach. And I will get sick on just about anything. Oh, so you'll actually get so, sick because, because it's one oh, thing if you yeah. get sick, like if you have an allergy for something or, or you, you get sick, that's one thing and that's understandable. But if it's just a matter of trying to push you out of your comfort zone, that's something different, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm, I am so, I have to be so careful about general sanitary standards and what things are. You know, I mean, I will eat hot Thai food and love it. And I've eaten lots of food in lots of strange places, but if I am, in the slightest bit uncertain, I just won't eat it because I, I know that I'm going to get sick. I have done it so many times. It's really annoying. I'll get sick as a dog and Susan's saying, what's the matter, dear? Yeah, it's just my stomach just doesn't handle it. Mm. Yeah, that must have been tough for you on, on your trip. It was. It was. It was. There were lots of times when, oh, that looks so good. And but you don't want to try no, it. Yeah. not going to take the I just, I just yes. can't risk it. Yeah, I'm, Brian? I'm, I, I got to a bit where I was sick of getting yeah. sick. Uh, Sorry, guys, I'm going to have to make a move uh, soon. So, um, Are they kicking you out of the cafe, got... Brian? Have you been there too long yeah. using their, their Wi-Fi for free? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, no, all my traveling companions want to get going, so we'll make a move soon. But um, what I was going to say was i got a couple of things. Um, I've got a mate in Texas who can't stand... A hamburger with beetroot, which we love in Australia. He just hates yes. it. He can't stand it. He, he gags when he sees someone put plain beetroot on a hamburger. What, what? You're putting what? What is this beetroot? Beets. Yeah, beets. beets. Oh, beets. beets. Oh, that's disgusting. We, we, call, it, we call it beetroot here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I know 99% of North Americans think that's disgusting. I actually enjoy it. I like it. Really? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And the only place I got sick was eating lettuce in Nepal, which mm. was um, when That's it was uh, washed. Yeah, it's washed in water, and so you're picking up germs out of the water. Yep. So, yeah, that was one of mine. And, um, yeah, I don't think I've, I've had snails, frog, frog's legs, snake, witchy grubs, crocodile, of course. Um, none of that. No dramas. Really? you Australian. I guess you eat snake like that. Yeah, we do. Well... You put it on barbecue and it's everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Throw another snake on the barbie. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> anyway, guys. taste exactly like chicken when you sit on the barbie. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, well, well Brian, it was, it was great to have you in here and, and you enjoy your ride and say hello to everybody and we'll get you next yeah. month. I will do and I'll say hi, hi from hey. See you later. Take care, Bye, Brian. Brian. Bye. Cheers. Bye. That was Brian Ricks right from the cafe. I assume it's the cafe in Hay while he's on his ride. That was great. Uh, that was a, a fun thing to have Brian check in like that. He's a brave man when he's not sitting next to me, isn't he? Yeah, he's the big man, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> I thought at first you were going to say he's a brave man eating at that cafe. I thought you knew about it or something. <laughs> We're going to going back to food, Jim. I have a mind over matter problem. Um, in South America, I couldn't try guinea pig. In uh, Norway and Japan, I couldn't and wouldn't try whale. Um, in Asia, I wouldn't and couldn't try dog. Um, I just uh, there are some things I just can't. I have to draw the line, at, and it's a it's a moral thing, and it's. Probably, I know it was certainly insulting to the man at the 
um, hotel in Norway who was very proud of the fact they had a fresh batch of whale in and um, was peeved, insulted uh, that I wouldn't try it. And when I pointed out to him that we have big demonstrations in this country to stop whaling, um, he was a little horrified about that. But um, we had an interesting discussion about it and in the end parted, parted friends. But I don't know what the others uh, feel like that, but that's just something I can't do. It's it's like um, Indian people won't eat beef. Mm-hmm. That is a tough one to get around. I mean, I, I wouldn't eat dog either if it was offered to me. Well, Susan has a problem with in um, Norway, northern Norway. She wouldn't eat reindeer. Mm. I can kind of understand that. Uh, Especially yeah, there, that there was a hard one for us too, Grant. We were invited to a friend's place for dinner, a guy we met on the road, to meet his wife and children. And I said to Brian, I seriously hope they don't serve reindeer. And indeed, they did serve reindeer stew. Of course they did. Um, and I did eat it. And it was, um, you know, it just tasted like a red meat casserole. But um, I on, still hang haven't on, Shirley. Had Are you saying it was delicious? Uh, look, it was just meat. It, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was delicious or not delicious, but um, I still haven't had the courage to tell my five grandchildren that I ate reindeer. Yeah, because if they don't get what they want for Christmas, they're going to know why. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the worst Trump part is we, got a dig missing. We, yeah, we stopped at a restaurant oh. and there was a sign saying "sautéed reindeer," fifty-five kroner, I think it was. And walking by were three reindeer right at that point. Oh. Great photo. That would have been a great photo. I have the photo. Oh, do you? And we just, yeah, I do. We couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't eat the reindeer. I think I, I'm I'm just incredibly not squeamish. I'm just really, really curious. And it's one of the things that I love about travel is trying all of the different foods and so on because they're such a an insight into the culture, but I always try to um, ask questions about the recipe and the different things that have gone into um, making a dish and so on. I um, I just have So a, have you eaten real... dog and yeah. guinea pig? Yeah. You have? Yeah. Wow. And I've eaten monkey and snake and antelope and frog and, yeah, witch tea grubs too. Um, for, for listeners who don't know what witch tea grubs are, they're the larvae of the ghost moth. Um, it's an Australian um, critter. Um, and they're the favourite survival food of, of many people who live out in the bush. Traditionally, they're really eaten alive and they have a sort of squishy flesh. But I thought the taste was quite pleasant. I must say, though, that I did prefer when they were um, cooked on, on the barbecue. And I, I sort of, my memory says that there, there was sort of strange cross between prawn and peanut. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were just really nice. But there are some things that I definitely wouldn't eat. I, balut in, in the Philippines, for example, that's just a, a complete no-no for me. It's um, a fertilized egg. So basically you're oh. eating bird fetus, head wings and all. And yeah, yeah no, nah, that just wasn't on for me. But I mean, I know people who think that the idea of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is completely gross. So. And most of you wouldn't eat Vegemite. No, well, that's for our own protection. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Jim. <laughs> but you could you know, put it into that little container of Michelle's and use it on the bike. <laughs> there that's you go. true. I did like that idea of yours, Michelle, very much because, of course, back in the earlier days of travel, you'd have film canisters for carrying yep. that sort of thing. And, of course, right. film canisters aren't around very much anymore. But um, mm. Argentina was a bit of a brain tease. Because 
you get invited to a barbecue or an asado and the chances are you'll have served up every single part of the cow. Yep. And there are some parts which, to my mind, would have actually been quite disgusting, but I didn't know what, what I was eating. And I didn't have one single thing that was not really nice. I suppose the um, final bowel track was a little bit odd. Um and it tasted a little bit like calamari and chewy like calamari, but um, I won't talk more on that bit. Let's put it this way. I didn't die. And you guys in Canada, you eat some pretty weird things too. I never got round to trying jellied moose nose. <laughs> I don't know where you're eating when you come here. <laughs> that is not Canadian food. <laughs> uh- I can I vouch for a lot of Canadian food, but I, I have to say I've never tried that. Thank goodness. Mm, yeah. When I was in Newfoundland, I, um, of course, had it wasn't too long after I'd broken my leg. And so I had some friends that I'd met who were kind enough to bring over just kind of a parade every week or so. They'd bring dinner, different kinds of local dishes. So I got to try cod cheeks and cod tongues, um, partridge berry pie all sorts of things. But one evening they brought over seal flipper pie, Uh, which I I was very grateful for them, the thought and all of that. But I really had a hard time. I did, I did have some because I was being polite. Yeah, Yeah, of course, you know, someone's made something homemade. And of course, you know, I think that's the polite thing to do. But I, I have to say when I sat down to make notes for this, for, (laughs) for this episode, I was amazed at the, the stuff that I've eaten. I don't think I've ever collectively <laughs> assembled. You've never the thought list. about it before and actually and, wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and in one list, it's pretty overwhelmingly gross. So, um, yeah. But I, I will say that seal flipper pie was um, not my favorite. It, it was okay. It tasted a bit like beef liver to me, the flavor of it. And I wasn't really a fan. But, mm. um, yeah, I, tr- I tried cooey. I'm sorry, Shirley. I've had it a few times. So that's guinea pig. Um, in South America, I tried, I've tried a lot of insects, which I, I don't think I knew that there were multiples, but I've tried fried worms in Thailand. I tried eating a type of ant in Daintree National Park in Australia that tasted like lime juice. Mm-hmm. Um it was very sweet, very yummy. I, I tried um, chapulinas, which are grasshoppers, fried grasshoppers in Oaxaca, Mexico. And they sell them by the bushels full in the marketplace and different sizes of grasshoppers. So when they're very small, the ratio, and this is so horrible, but this is maybe the part where people need to unplug if they're squeamish. <laughs> um but the ratio of body compared to legs, because the legs are crunchy and they get caught in your teeth, a bit like a bunch of splinters. Um, but the younger ones are smaller and they season them with either chili or lime or chocolate, any kinds of spice, garlic, etc. The smaller ones were edible and kind of like a crunchy snack, but the larger ones had big legs that would get caught in your teeth. And that was just too much for me. So, so, yeah, not a fan. Doesn't it make you wonder how something like that becomes part of the culture? You know, like grass, I mean, like, was mm-hmm. there nothing else to eat? You know what I mean? Or does somebody look at it and go, I think that'll be tasty if we just fry it up the right way. You know, hungry enough to eat anything. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, and if they're out there eating your crops and you want to harvest them and make them 
I mean, if there's mm. a swarm of locusts or grasshoppers coming through, maybe it's beneficial to gather them all up and you eat them instead of them eating your food. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's possible. But what you didn't say, Michelle, is, so did, was there stuff that really surprised you? Did you eat something? You're probably not going to want to say it, but did you eat that guinea pig and think that is really delicious? No, no, I thought actually I had some of the lemon, the lemon chapulinas. So the lemon small grasshoppers were really good, surprisingly. They were good. And the lime juice flavored ants in Australia were very good. So if you um, go back there, you're going to be saying, I got to get some of these ants. Well, no, I, I don't think I'm going to order a bunch. No, but they, <laughs> I tried one and it, and it was tasty. It mm. really was. The, the one thing that I would go back for, and I wasn't sure what I would think of it, but I really, it was delicious was a lionfish. Lionfish is really known as a destructive fish. They come in and they're, they ruin reefs and um, cultures, you know, fish populations in different parts of the ocean. And so people have started hunting them because they're so destructive and they didn't know what to do with them at first because the spines are poisonous, very toxic. Um, so I stopped at a little village in Belize and they were serving lionfish for lunch, like a fish and chips type dish. And it was some of the best fish I've ever, ever had. It was really wow. good. And then they were selling earrings and jewelry made out of the the spines, the toxic spines. <laughs> so I have a pair of lionfish earrings too. So. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. And they are a beautiful fish too. They are. Oh, they're nice. gorgeous. They were. Yeah. They're not anymore. Yeah, they're, well, all, yeah. they're made into earrings. Now, <laughs> so Michelle, when you're going to try something like this, because you said you tried the one grasshopper, you're mm-hmm. doing it just for the experience because, or, or maybe because somebody offered it to you? Um, no, I bought a little bag of grasshoppers as a snack and took them in my tank bag. So I like a little bag of them. Uh, so of course I bought them initially to try, but I, it wasn't just one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I so, bought a little bag as a snack. And the the whole moral dilemma, you said you were you were given the flipper pie, the seal flipper pie, mm. and you ate it because mm-hmm. you said someone made it for you. They went out of their way and it's their culture. They're not doing something wrong in their right. mind, right? And this is what we, we assume. Right. So what, what, what's your thought process with that? You, you always, no matter what it is, you would eat it anyway, or at least feign eating it, try it? You know, I don't know. I think I, I'm... I'm with, I definitely understand the moral dilemma and I, I'm a dog lover, so I really never want to eat dog. And I, I was in Iceland one time and found a place where a whale was on the menu and I really was bothered by that. So, but by the same token, an animal is an animal. I, in another life, I really wish I had been a vegetarian for all sorts of, you know, personal reasons, but I grew up on a farm in South Dakota with a family who raised beef and animals. And, and so I've never followed that path, I guess, so to speak. And so I try different things, but there are some things I'm okay with and some that I'm not. And I, I, I don't know where that line is until I guess I, I reach it and think, no, I'm not doing that. Or yes, I might try that. But I, I, I remember reading an article one time about the Dalai Lama, for example, he's Buddhist, does not eat meat but he said that he has eaten it a few times in his life because he was served it as a guest in a place and he didn't want to be rude and said, if this is what they have to serve me, then I, I will accept it. Mm, interesting. It's That's a really good attitude. Very cool yeah. dude, isn't he? Yeah. He is. 
Tiffany Coates has got a nice way of putting it. Well, it always makes me smile, but then um, stand back and think about it. She says, I never eat anything with a face. Mm-hmm. Mm. I really respect that. Mm. So that means that she doesn't eat the face portion. Is that what she's saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no face there. What about potatoes with eyes? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sam, when you're eating this stuff, you, you do it. You said you're you're very curious. Does it worry you at all, or do you, do you look forward to putting these new things in your mouth and chewing them up? I look forward to trying new things because I'm. It is just the curiosity, but at the same time, um, I was listening to what Shirley was saying, and yeah, I think really hard about some things. Uh, whale meat in Norway was exactly the same for me. Um, I really struggled with the concept of eating whale meat, but. Um, it was a, a historical food item and there was a stand selling small cubes. They were about half inch cubes, so, you know, centimeter cubes. And I thought, I'll try one small piece just out of curiosity, but I'm not buying a whole bag full. Um, and I did try that little bit and I thought, this is disgusting. I don't see what it's all about. So, um, right, what's next? Mm. I've heard that with whale, that if you don't grow up with it, it's, it's, it's pretty unpalatable. There are lots of foods around that are pretty unpalatable. In Italy, I can't remember the name of the cheese, but there's a cheese with worms in it. And this stuff stinks to high heaven. I've been in a shop where some of that stuff has been on sale and you can't smell any of the other cheeses because this is most so powerful. But that's never appealed to me. I haven't actually tried it yet and one day I will. But, uh, in Iceland, Michelle, did you try the putrid shark, which I believe is a delicacy? <laughs> mm, I'm thinking I'm not going to try it when I'm there. No, I did not. Is mm. that like shark that's going rotten? Is that what it sounds yeah, like? Yeah, I presume so. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. what it's, they say. That's how they describe it, putrid shark. And it's what? one of the um, delicacies of the of the country. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if there are people who actually like Sam but even maybe more so than Sam, get a thrill out of going and testing new flavors, new new types of things, all the moral things aside. Well, I, I think I feel that way. I'm curious about things, which is probably why my list of weird things that I've eaten is so long. So you get a thrill out of culture. Right. You, you, you just want to know what this thing tastes like and, and what people are eating there. Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think Sam has summed it up perfectly as usual. Yeah. Because if you don't want to try, then you're probably missing out on a, on a like, well, what, let me ask that then. What do you, what do you get from Michelle? You're trying something, you, you get a, a taste for it. What does it tell you? What do you learn about the culture by doing that? I don't, I don't know that I learn anything in particular about the culture, but when I'm in a place and I'm, I'm interested in all parts of that life. So what are they eating on a regular basis? What is the music like? What is the landscape like? What are the smells and scents of the land as you're riding through just the textures and the feelings and, and every sensory perception that I can, you know, intake this experience and, 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 you know, really just um, absorb every bit of it and tasting their food, even the strange delicacies is just another layer of, of that experience for me. Does anyone carry anything with them to mask the taste of bad food? 
Lord, no, don't eat the bad food in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Tim, I mean, really? Come on. Well, I thought somebody that would say, you know, I carry thing. like, I don't know, Mrs. Dash with me or something like that. And that way I can eat a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff that maybe I shouldn't have otherwise. Well, it may, yeah, it may enhance the flavor of some good food, but... <laughs> What is Mrs. Dash yeah. for the people in the Southern Hemisphere? Oh, uh, Mrs. Dash is is sort of a mix of uh, of herbs. It's I, I don't know what's in it actually, but some uh, I'm not sure. So I don't, don't want to say, but no salt. Is it I a know. spicy sauce or is it? No, a, it's, oh, a, it's, a dry, it's a little bottle. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little shaker bottle of dried herbs right. that you sprinkle in instead of salt or pepper. It's dried herbs of they have different kinds, different mixes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite good, but, it, but it's, but it's kind of like that. I think that thing of that, um, the, the, the person who wants to appear like they know what they're cooking or know how to cook and, and they really don't. I, am I saying that wrong, Michelle? I don't know, but, but, yeah. but I use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very convenient to just grab it and you don't have to be fussy about, oh, it's got to be this, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, oh, a little bit more of that and a little less of yeah. that. It's all done for you. It's just there. Just right. pour it on. You're good. Exactly. You, you put on eggs or you can put on anything, anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's good. So it's the sort of thing shock. that you can carry as a, as a traveler <laughs> and it'll make the, the blandest of, the blandest, cheapest of things taste nice. Oh yeah. Plain rice is hugely enhanced with it. Put it that way. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think because you, you take it out of the bottle, obviously I would and put it in a Ziploc bag because it'll pack flat. It's dry. It'll stay forever as long as you keep it dry. And yeah, I mean, you can put in something like rice and it just changes the flavor, makes a meal out of it. So it's not a liquid. No, no, no. It's just your, your standard powdered spice that you get in, you go in, you, you buy cinnamon and whatever else spice you want. And it's just a mix of those. Interesting. I've got to try this next time I'm in the States. Yeah. Bring some home. <laughs> try and get that through customs and quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, one sniff and it'll be pretty obvious. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing that in front of one of the customs officers. <laughs> I don't think it really tells you what's in it. I'm, I'm having a little trouble reading the label. It, it says that it's just a versatile combination of 14 herbs and spices. Uh, enhance the flavor of chicken, burgers, vegetables, and your favorite soups and salads. And so there you go. So it's a bit like Kentucky Fried Chicken in a jar, in a bottle. Uh, yes. That's one way to look at it, yeah. <laughs> I think so. And we'll put a picture of that in the show notes. <laughs> Since we spent so much time on and it. And when I look it up on, uh, when I Google it here, it comes up as Master Foods All Purpose Seasoning is the closest thing to it in Australia. There we go. Hmm, yeah, yeah, that would be about right. Interesting. But yeah, when we were in um, Mongolia, the first place we stopped at for lunch had horse anus on the menu. Hmm. Um, we didn't order it, I'm just saying. I don't know that I needed to say that. <laughs> but we were tempted to, for no other reason, to see what it looked like on a plate. Yep. <laughs> and what do you serve it with as a side? I just tried to get my head around this. I think Rocky Mountain oysters would go perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Which are, for those who don't know. Oh, those are um, cow, well, not cow, bull testicles. Oh. Bovine. Mm, And you probably grew up on those. See, and that's that's probably where this comes from. I'm from South Dakota, and I grew up literally branding cattle, and we castrate the calves and put them in a bucket and fry them up for dinner that night for the whole crew that has come to work so hard to help you brand and, and treat the cattle. So, yeah, 
Okay. So, so this is a process where you take a, a healthy um, uh, cattle, cow young bull, or real yes. bull. Okay. And mm-hmm. then you stick a hot iron into its skin to burn. And well, that's, the branding part. that's the branding yeah. part. And then yeah. you go underneath and you, well, let's just say castrate. you end up, you castrate them and you end up with the testicles and then you fry the testicles. This is farming, mm-hmm. right? This, yes, this is ranch life. Right. And right. nothing goes to waste. I mean, quite literally back in the day, that was the thing. Now they're served really in restaurants like bar food as like a delicacy. They're mm. very common, but I suppose when that is your baseline, when that's what you grew up with, you eat bugs all over the world and it's okay. <laughs> that's right. so I can eat awful, but I've never been, um, I've never been offered testicles, I must say, but I can eat liver and kidney. And, and then Shirley, correct me on this, Belmain bugs? Yeah, they're just like a little, um, Bigger than a prawn, but not as big as a lobster or a crayfish. And they're really good. Really, really good. Yep. What are they? It's a seafood and it's um, like a flat. It's like you've got a big mallet and squished a prawn down flat. Okay. And you cut them in half lengthwise and pull them open. and, and But okay. they're, they're good. They're a seafood, yeah, like okay. a prawn. They're good though. But a Balmain bug, it does give you the the wrong impression as to what, what <laughs> does. I, I remember like. when we were first offered that when we were living in Australia. So we said, how about some Balmain bugs? Uh, what? <laughs> but yeah, they're absolutely delicious. Yes. Yeah. But you do think they're going to be like Michelle's bug collection of crickets and things in little, little bags, but they're not, they're a seafood. And, and it is what you're raised on. I mean, clearly yeah. the people in Norway think nothing wrong of eating whale mm. and they're still allowed to to whale because it is part of their culture and I think that's the same with the um, Indigenous people in, in North America. But in Australia, it's not what we were raised on. Mm-hmm. But we were raised on Vegemite and the rest of the world just mocks and they don't understand what goodness they're missing oh, out on. stop with your Vegemite. <laughs> you, you guys eat kangaroos and for the rest of the world, look at those cute kangaroos and think, how could you eat that? Can I tell you, Jim, I won't eat kangaroo because I just think there's something odd about eating part of your national emblem. Mm. <laughs> it's I cannot imagine Americans sitting down to a plate of bald eagle. <laughs> yeah, no. That's, That's true. not going to no. happen. Yeah. Um, so um, kangaroo and emu, uh, I, I just um, can't come out. But when we go to an Indigenous community and we'll be up there in August and they have they always kill a, a big beef animal for the barbecue for the day. The visitors are offered um, part of the liver because they're visitors and it's um, a special part, which doesn't worry me, but Brian can't come at that. And then at the end of the day, they put in the kangaroo tails in the coals at the bottom of the barbecue and they just love it. You know, it, it could end up in fisticuffs if there aren't enough kangaroo tails to go around. And the shop in this community sells frozen kangaroo tails in, in the um, alongside the frozen peas. Wow. And I'm having know. dinner after this too, or at least I was. Uh, it's breakfast time here. I'm not sure what to have. Probably Vegemite, I think. <laughs> yeah, that could have been on the list of one of those terrible things you've tried, Vegemite. But anyway. And, and, and I know. I know. We stayed with some very dear friends in Germany and uh, Opa was uh, the patriarch of the family, was having black bread with raw minced pork and raw onion spread uh-huh. on it for his breakfast. 
which mm. I thought, you know, the raw meat part and raw onion, not mm. my idea of breakfast. He was intrigued to try Vegemite. Um, he put way too much on the piece of bread, bit into it and then spat it across the table <laughs> <laughs> and went back to his raw pork and, and raw onion. Yeah. So it is an, it's an acquired taste. Right, yeah. yeah I was going to throw Germany. in a comment on this um, about breakfast. Every country has a completely different idea of what mm. a good breakfast is. In Northern Europe, it's a whole raft of cold meats and various cheeses and things. And then in, in France, I remember it was coffee and a cigarette. Um, I shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> Maybe a croissant. <laughs> so it, it's very variable what you like. So I think if you can, you take what you like for breakfast just to get the day started. We took cereal and we'd buy fruit and chop it up and toss it on the cereal. Like I'll put a whole banana on my bowl of cereal and that gets me going for the day. But cold meats, eh, I, I was okay with it, but it wasn't. I wasn't a big fan. It just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I, can't I can't do oh, porridge. I can't do porridge. It's no, yeah. no, no. I have to leave the room if people are eating it. Really? Oh, wow. It's just so sludgy. I just think it's not an animal. No, it has I know no it's mass. not an animal, but it's sludgy. It's just. Um, I, oh, well, no. I was raised on it. My mother. I'm. I'm Scottish, so I was raised oh, on well. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you're used to. Yeah. yeah exactly. Not so long back, you know, when you when you went into a restaurant and that sort of thing, you just had to look at the food and um, think, well, okay, um, that sounds like it might be interesting and hope that whatever you ended up with actually was. And we always look at what other people are eating and um, well, and if we see something that somebody else is eating, then we think, oh, well, let's try one of those. That looks quite interesting. Um, and sometimes when you look at food um, on a picture, on a menu, that sort of thing, you look at it and think, God, I wonder what on earth is in there. Well, modern times are with us. Um, you can get an app and put it on your phone and it's called Google Lens. And you can take a picture of the food and the app has a very good chance, an 80% plus chance of telling you what is actually in this dish. Are you serious? Wow. And that's, it oh, will that's go neat. on and tell you how to prepare it and eat it and all that sort of stuff. And the other thing it will do is that it will read the foreign language text on a menu so that you know what you're about to order. Nice. Very interesting. Of course, you're going to give us a link for that. We'll put it in the show notes. It's just Google Lens. I have not tried it, but Google I Lens. did a fair bit of research when I came across it and it seems to work. Wow. Well, I'm going to try that too. I'll, I'll take a picture of Mrs. Dash. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, let's move into plugs. Michelle, what do you have? Uh, I'm so sorry to say I don't have anything in particular to plug oh. this week. <laughs> well, you do have some books for sale. I do have books for sale, and I have to say, um, whether it's mine or anybody else's, I will always plug and say some of my favorite books, and not just because I ride, um, are books by motorcyclists and motorcycle travelers. So I have two books available on Amazon.com, uh, The Butterfly Route or uh, Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America by Motorcycle. And um, yeah, but I have to say I've been growing my collection. There's lots of great books that have been coming out. I have been thoroughly enjoying, I have to say, The Moment Collectors by Sam. So Sam, thank you so much for assembling that. I have been, it's been on my nightstand now for the last couple of months and I just choose a new story every now and then. And I am 
so entertained, so engrossed in that book. I've really been enjoying it. So any book that any writer or reader can get their hands on that uh, is by a motorcycle traveler, I highly recommend. Okay. And the moment collectors, of course, is, is the book that Sam put together and Sam hyphen manicom.com would be the website to go to. Am I correct, Sam? It is, um, but it's also available from the book depository with free worldwide delivery. And of course, Amazon. All right. Shirley, what do you have? Oh, look, Tim, you'd be so disappointed if I had a plug. So, um, I don't actually have one, but I, uh, concur with Michelle that um, particularly in Australia now where it's winter and it's not so pleasant riding, it's actually pouring with rain here, to curl up with a book written by someone who's been travelling and travel with them vicariously. And uh, we have people who buy our books through Amazon and the usual online or through our webpage and occasionally get very nice emails from people who say how much they enjoy it and how much they enjoy travelling and that maybe it's inspired them to, to get on the road be it on a bike or in a car or on a bus or a train or whatever, but just to get out and enjoy the world. That's great. And are, are, is it pouring rain right now? Correct. Yeah, you I can hear it. I'm sure because it was really bucketing down. Wow. But it's, um, yeah, look, it's winter, it's cold, it's bleak. It's sunny and it's hot okay. here. Just beautiful. Stop. Gorgeous, gorgeous Stop. weather. <laughs> Stop. Beautiful. I don't want to know. Stop it. Now, enough. <laughs> Brian, what have you got? Oh, you're not here? Okay, you've got nothing. We'll <laughs> we'll move on to Grant. Grant, what have you got? I was going to say, Jim, you're being cruel to me too. It's supposed to be summer here and it's not. Isn't it? Are you, are you having crappy weather? Oh, I'm, I really feel Although it is you. getting better. The, on the Thursday at our, at our event, it absolutely poured rain and there were still half a dozen people out on the um, pavement training course for um, basic bike maneuvers. And they were out there and it was bucketing down and they were having a great time. I thought they were crazy, but okay. But from then on, we had good weather throughout. So it worked out really well. Hmm. Actually, sorry. I, I saw the photograph of that. I saw the photograph. They're doing training yeah. outside and it was teeming. I mean, it was like one of those oh, yeah. movie shots where they've got the fire hose supplying the rain. It was teeming down, yet those people were still out there doing the training. For an hour and a half. It makes sense. You're going to have minutes. to ride in the rain at some stage, so you may as well learn how to do it in a controlled environment. Yeah, but when you're forced yep. to do it, that's one thing. But but to volunteer yeah, to do it, that's something completely else. And I think those people are really, they're, they're tops for doing that. Oh, kudos. Absolutely. Yeah. And the funny part is that the trainer, Al Brooks, is an ex-police motorcycle trainer. Mm. And he said that they loved it when it rained because guess what? It's going to rain. You're going to have to deal with this yeah. on the job. Yeah. So he was quite happy with it. <laughs> so anyway, we have some events coming up. Next event up is Newfoundland, August 12 to 15. So those of you who are in Eastern North America, and I know there's at least one guy who's riding out there from here in BC all the way to Newfoundland for a truly unique event out in the middle of nowhere, Kill Devil Camp. How's that for a name? Wow. That's a beautiful piece of the world. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's people all over the place. Check it out. Newfoundland. And then Switzerland is coming up the week after that, August 18 to 21. And Romania the weekend after that. And then we're looking at a mini-meet in Ecuador in September 24 to 25. Oh, whoops. Before that is France, September 16 to 18. The French always do it upright. You arrive and they give you an aperitif, just a little starter to get joined in. Um, Germany is last weekend in October. 
And then, of course, South Africa, one of our favorites, November 3 to 6. So we've got lots of events happening this year. It feels really good to get back to doing events, and people are loving them so far. We've been doing really well. And we have some 2023 dates already set. Jeez. Check out the website. That's Horizonsunlimited.com slash events. Yes, we're getting quite excited about it. That's great. Now, I, so we, we also got, got that email for somebody for the destination portion of your website where you go to and you, you find places that go, people go camping, et cetera, and favorite, favorite spots. And they said there was, there was basically nothing for Canada. So if you're in Canada and you know of a place that, that could be posted on Horizons Unlimited to let other riders know where to go, go to horizonsunlimited.com forward slash destinations and fill it out. Let's get some Canadian ones on there. Yes, please. And it doesn't have to be someplace to camp. It could be your favorite motorcycle shop that's really good to travelers or just someplace scenic. I mean, somebody should put in Banff, for, for heaven's sake. Um, Niagara Falls should be in there. So anything to do with motorcycling, right? Anything to do with motorcycle interest? Basically, some, if you're a motorcyclist, it's someplace you would like to go or might want to go or might need to go. Any one of those will do fine. Just Put it in. It's interesting. It takes you five minutes. It's not a big deal. So, And that goes not just for Canada, of course, although as a Canadian-based website, we're embarrassed that there's so little in Canada. Right. So please make me feel less embarrassed. But for the rest of the world, all of you, just bung something in. There's always something near where you live that a motorcycle traveler would be interested in. So bung it in there. It doesn't take long. Sam, what do you have? Mm, well, I am absolutely delighted to say that I am going to be back in the USA in autumn um, at wow. last. I am so looking forward to being back over again. Um, I have 60 days. 60 day tour in the US. Now you're going there yeah. not just to ride. No, I'm going to be doing some presentations and book signings as well. And I'm starting off the trip with Overland Expo Mountain in Loveland, Colorado. Um, where I'm presenting and instructing some classes and book signing too, of course. And that's August 26th to the 28th. Then I'm going to be at um, Wailing Wayne in um, Nelsonville, Ohio. I'm really looking forward to this. It sounds like an incredibly beautiful area. In fact, Loveland does too. I'm itching to get to both of these places. Wailing Wayne is um, a four-day event of riding on and off-road, great food, presentations, and much more. And that's um, September 7th to the 11th. Um, I'll be there from the 9th, on the 9th, 10th, and 11th. The amazing Mary McGee is going to be heading up the presenters. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Mary, she's um, an American motorsport racing pioneer. She was actually the first woman to compete in motorcycle road racing and motocross events in the United States. And she is simply brilliant fun to be around. If you've already met her, you'll know exactly what I mean. I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing her again. She's just, yeah, she's super. Total inspiration. And we've had her on the show as well. Oh, right. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Well, um, people hunt back and listen to that episode and you'll see why I'm saying that. Um, after Wailing Wayne, I'm going up to um, BMW Motorcycles of Detroit for a presentation evening. And that's going to be on September the 14th. 
I'm talking to Chicago BMW at the moment. So hopefully that's going to come off and I'm working with several other dealerships in other parts of the United States. So um, I will be um, talking about those hopefully um, with the next Raw. I'll be rounding off the trip at Overland Expo East in um, Arrington, Virginia. And that's from October the 7th to the 9th. So um, this is, yeah, just, yeah, lots of lovely riding. And I'm going to be going to parts of the States that I haven't been to before. So it's going to be um, lots of fun. And I really hope that I get a chance to link up with listeners at um, one or the other of the events or presentations. That would be a complete bonus for me. Um, I really hope to have the chance to link up with listeners at um, one or the other of the events or presentations because that's going to be a complete bonus for me. That uh, that wraps us up for um, what, what what is the number of this one? This is episode seventy seven. Well, that's, that's, that's yeah, yeah. But uh, that was very that was very good, everyone. Thank you very much, and a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Lots of laughs. That was great. Thank you. I'm going off to have Vegemite yeah. toast now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't enjoy. I know you will. Shirley, you better get that app on your phone so you can analyze what's in it. <laughs> Don't <talk> do that. <laughs> Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a motor traveler that also has a couple of great motor travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Adventure Rider Radio.